0: Tim Graham and friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants, is back for another episode. I'm here with Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, and uh, Jonah Bronstein has been uh, MIA, reached out to him earlier, and rumor had it he was uh, sitting down with another podcast. That's the last we've heard from Jonah, and that's disappointing.
1: It's tough. Uh, this he, reminds me of the day that I went on your radio show with Jonah as the host. I was in Indianapolis. So were you, but I didn't know where you were. Jonah didn't, Jonah couldn't get in touch with you. Um, and so, Jonah, I was a guest on your radio show with Jonah as the host, and a lot of the conversation was centered around where you were and i didn't know so
0: i vaguely i vaguely remember that which might have been part of the that might be a good clue as to where i was at the time is that i vaguely remember it um
1: i might have been napping you were doing some sort of work as it turned out i assumed you were napping but i think you were actually
0: uh yeah was i working shit done yeah (laughs) well thanks for bailing me out whether that's true or not i'll take it um yeah i'm sure jonah's busy with uh ub stuff and uh, hasn't been able to make it uh, so far this evening. But if he happens to jump in, we'll, we'll plug him uh, right into the show, uh, which is a jam-packed one. We have three guests. Of course, Gerald Dixon, former Bill Scout, is going to tell us uh, what he thinks of the Bills after the win over San Diego and the road game against the San Francisco 49ers, but not in San Francisco, in Glendale, Arizona because of COVID restrictions in Santa Clara County. Uh, I know that was convoluted, but anyway, Gerald Dixon's going to tell us all about that or what he thinks. Uh, we're going to talk to Joel Staniszewski to get his thoughts on the bills from a betting standpoint. And uh, Joel uh, spun his wheels a little bit last week, um, uh, broke even, but still up big on the year. And he's going to tell us uh, not only his thoughts on Bill's 49ers, but he has three bonus picks for us. Uh, Or so I hear. And uh, we're going to hear all about that uh, when he comes on with us. And William Detloff, the editor-in-chief of Ringside Seat. It is generally a digital publication, which they say it's tongue-in-cheek, but I think it's pretty legit. They'd like to call themselves the Paris Review of Boxing Publications, but that's exactly the approach that they take. The design is fantastic. Um, I'm going to hold one up here. Uh, So you can see this is a hard copy that comes out usually once a year, but now they just last couple issues, but you can, I don't know if you can tell on that the artwork that's on there uh, is fantastic. And the design uh, and it's journalism inside it's features. It's not fight recaps or previews of the upcoming fight. It is historical stuff. It is contextual. It would be kind of like, you know, what the kind of coverage that you'd expect to see at the athletic in depth stuff. Uh, And anyway, we're going to have William Detloff on uh, to talk about uh, boxing journalism, the state of the sport, and most importantly, big fight this weekend uh, between uh, Errol Spence and Danny Garcia down in AT&T Stadium, and Errol Spence's first fight back from a nasty car accident a year ago. Danny Garcia has only two losses in his career, former world champion himself, so this is not a tune-up. Very interesting to see... Errol Spence and how he handles it, because he is an elite fighter as of 13, 14 months ago or whatever it was before the accident. He's favored to win this fight, but there was so much secrecy regarding his accident, nobody really knows how seriously hurt he was uh, in this Lamborghini that he he had ejected himself from. Just crazy uh, intrigue, but an elite fighter and a Boxing fans boxing match Saturday night uh, on pay per view. I'm sure we'll also talk about Tyson and Roy Jones. Uh, but Matt, one thing I wanted to ask you about you're a big hockey guy. And um, before we get into all this football talk and, and talk to William Detloff from uh, Ringside Seat, um, there's been some winds, uh, foul winds blowing around that the NHL season may not begin on time, or at least the the time that they hoped for the delayed season to start, uh, early January. Um, where are you as a hockey fan? How, how badly do you miss your sport?
1: Yeah, I, I miss it. And when I see it, look, I understand why the season, um, needed to be delayed. I would understand why it would need to be delayed further. And if it needed to be canceled outright, um, because of what's going on in the world that would all be understandable but when you see the same you know don fair gary bettman are at an impasse or they're not speaking to each other or that stuff gets old i can only imagine um you know i'm i've been a hockey fan my whole life but i can only imagine the casual fans just flip the switch off and see what else is on at, at some point point. and so this is much more complicated than just a labor dispute. Obviously. Um, There's way bigger issues to work out, but when you hear that it's progress that they're talking, that's uh, you know, you get what you get, what you get at that point. Don't you? I mean, you know, if, if you're not gonna, you know, you're already probably what the number four uh, of the major four Um, you know, there's probably other sports even nipping at their heels for that. Um, You know, golf is probably surging close to that. So I think there are subsets or subsects
0: within the NFL that would be more popular than the NHL. Like if you were to say, if you were to pull out the NFL draft season and all the work that goes into mock drafts and scouting and the shows and all that stuff is more, is a bigger sport than the NHL in terms of audience and interest and et cetera, et cetera
1: yeah um the xfl was getting better numbers at times wasn't it i mean and that was happening the Pro Bowl
0: gets better numbers than the stanley cup
1: so it's yeah but that's okay like hockey's its niche thing and that's fine but I, I feel like stuff like this just gets under the skin of the people who care the people who matter or should matter uh to the league and um like i said there's a million reasons why the season should be delayed or maybe not happen um but you know a a labor dispute probably shouldn't be one of them now all that being said the players need to kind of stand their ground the 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 talk was that the bubble wasn't as luxurious as um you know a lot of people made it out to be right it was like going to be this amazing deal and um, certainly it looked like a good time for basketball players down in, uh, Orlando it looked like one of them.
0: Had... One of the NHL bubbles was in Edmonton, just to remind everyone and that one was the apparently one was in not Toronto. Great. The... Yeah. <laughs>
1: that one was, uh, you know, there was some players that came out anonymously, uh, and didn't have kind things to say about these bubbles. So, um, you know, I understand they need to stand up for, you know, and get what what's due to them. But, um, I think there should be legitimate concern that, uh, something isn't something could be a little bit amiss. it's we're in this weird in between right now as a population on the on earth um that there is a vaccine but we're not all going to get it for a while and we might be staring you know right in the face of the worst stretch of this virus which makes it really complicated for these sports leagues because most of them have just said yeah we're just going to play we're just going to do it and so once you've kind of committed to that, you have to figure out a way to do it, and you have to figure out a way to do it safely, And the safety part really doesn't seem to come first for a lot of these leagues. I know everybody wants to pat the uh, NFL on the back. Um, certainly all the, the guys that you know take the uh, you know, feet out of the hand of the league aren't going to say how you know, it's what a great job the NFL's done. No games canceled just speaks to their ignorance at this point, but it's neither here nor there.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, I just wonder how much the NHL is using this global crisis, the pandemic as leverage, uh, as a way, you know, and it gets mind numbing to listen to, even if you're a hockey fan who really cares about the sport and when it's going to restart, uh, phrases like memorandum of understanding and price roll or salary rollbacks and all the different vernacular that is used on a collective bargaining agreement, in particular, this one, it just, you don't have the patience for it. You don't have the time for it. Uh, you almost have, you feel like you have to go get your MBA to understand what's going on.
1: And uh, so, yeah, you I use sports to get away from that stuff, right? That's right. <laughs> they hear all that at work. They don't want to hear it when they flip on the TV. Uh, you, you just want to turn your brain off and that's where it gets frustrating.
0: Gary Bettman using some veiled threats uh, at a symposium that he spoke at Wednesday to talk about the players. Hey, look, they're going to owe us a lot of money, uh, pay us back with all these, what they're owed and the partnership and, you know, how expensive it is for owners to to open up the doors. And and that's the case, especially in Buffalo. Uh, they have owners that are losing money uh, on their hockey teams and they want to get their players back on the ice. But yeah, it, yeah, I think that um, I always, I've always i generally been pro-labor in all these uh, situations, and I think the players really need to take care of themselves here. Um, but I think maybe the NHL views this as a way to play hardball because we're not going to be playing anytime soon anyway, and the COVID numbers are rising, which adds another layer of mystery to when they're going to be able to get back on the ice. And so we might as well hammer out some different deal, even though we have this memorandum of understanding uh, because um, we're not we're not going to be playing first week of January anyway. Maybe we're not playing this year at all, um, and it's because of the pandemic, not because of the lockout. I don't know. It's it's uh, it's terrible terrible time to be a hockey fan. That's for sure. Uh, you've had a legit a somewhat legitimate feeling NBA conclusion, NHL, I guess. I don't know. What'd you think of the way that they finished their season? Did it feel, did it have an air of legitimacy?
1: I think so. Um, yeah. It seems, it seems as, mu- so. as much legitimacy as, as the NBA had, um, you didn't have, um, you know, it was always going to be weird. Uh, same with the NBA, but you didn't have even what you have in the NFL going on right now of, you know, what, ha- what happened to the Ravens, um, you know, and, questioning whether games were fair. Um, That didn't really happen in in the NHL. Now, of course, stopping a season right before it's about to be done, playing games in front of empty stands, no home ice advantage in the playoffs. I think the problem with sports right now is that they've been sucked of a lot of their life. Um, You know, you watch them on TV and and you see them in person and they're they're just lifeless. Where's
0: the soul, man? Yeah,
1: there's just nothing... I don't know. No soul it feels empty um, because it is empty. There's nobody there. Um, and I think that's a big part of what makes uh, sports what they are. And I, but I also think it's just a matter too of like, if things aren't hundred percent, okay. And right in the country, it's hard. Maybe it's a personal thing for me, but it's hard to be like, Oh yeah, let's see. Let's see what happens with this Stanley cup. It's like, okay, cool. You're going to raise the cup and skate around an empty building. And there's, Lots of people you know dying every day, um so you might know the quote better, but Sean Doolittle, the
0: relief pitcher, said it best, and uh, do you know that quote, or I'd be paraphrasing, but it was something along the lines of sports is the reward for a functioning society right it's that's the payoff like you need to get to a certain point before you can actually enjoy having these things. This is the reward you get for being healthy and having, you know, civilization and rules and everybody, you know, economically on some sort of footing, all the, whatever. Um,
1: Like, I'd like to be able to go to the bar and watch a game with you, but I don't want to go to the bar right now. And I don't, and and the games aren't really worth watching. I want to be on the other side is what I want more than anything. And the game, the game will be there. But that'll, it'll be background noise, which is what you want it to be. When you People assign this big thing to the game, right? It's got to be a distraction from everything that's going on in the world. And when you assign it too much of that, um, it kind of gets sucked of all of it in some ways. It's like, I'd rather it just be there. I'd rather it just be on um, and we're talking about something else and not worried that we're going to get each other sick um, and we can just sit there and hang out and have a good time. Um, and then occasionally glance up and say man it's, <laughs> right
0: it's, on right it's on fine. cue
1: <laughs> see there you go good uh-huh. thing good thing i'm not in in your waterlogged basement there
0: or at the bar with me
1: right but yeah it's uh i don't know it's just a it's a lot um and if they don't play hockey games because of it the hockey games were probably get this season is probably going to be even weirder than last season so um it does get different when you can't like baseball or football play outside, um, for starters. Um, and even this NFL season's getting a little dicey here down the stretch.
0: Well, one thing that I am thankful for, because it's always there, uh, for sports fans, for Tim Graham and friends is shampoo, Travis and Kirshner CPAs and business consultants, CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst, and CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions, CTBK is available and ready to serve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. Shampo, Travis, Bisson and Kirshner, that's C-T-B-K. Over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. So, Matt, let's not wait anymore. Let's uh, bring in, I'll give you this next segment off. I'll talk to William Detloff, the editor-in-chief of Ringside Seat, about uh, Errol Spence and Danny Garcia in boxing. Maybe you come back on in a little bit when we talk to Gerald Dixon and uh, Joel Staniszewski, and we'll see if by then, Jonah Bronstein chooses to grace us with his presence.
1: Well, you know, if there's one way to inject life into these lifeless sporting events I've found, it's to gamble.
0: Yes, you're right.
1: And especially when Joel's on a heater like he's been on in 2020. <laughs> so I think people people ought to stick around and get those bonus picks.
0: And if you listen to Tim Graham and friends brought to you by CTBK, you would have gotten yet another bonus pick by listening to our analysis of UB Kent state, which Jonah Bronstein said was going to go over, even though that seemed kind of fringy, you know, like 67 know. and a you half
1: was the over large yeah. over UB hit it on their own. UB didn't even need an opponent. It's like a basketball uh, over under.
0: It was crazy. Uh, So we'll see what Jarrett Patterson does uh, this weekend against Ohio. And uh, we'll talk about that uh, on uh, the first episode of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK next week. Uh, But for now, uh, let's get to the rest of the show. And now on Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK. It is an old friend of mine, an old writing friend. We used to pen boxing stories for The Ring and KO Magazine around the same time, back in the 90s and into the 2000s. And we've both moved on to different ventures. And I'm excited to have William Detloff the editor in chief of ringside seat and William is uh, coming to us by phone, but he can't see that. I'm actually holding up uh, my copy of the 2019 <laughs> review for everybody to see. Because right. I think it's important for people to see ringside seat. Uh, and it is an e-publication mostly, but the review is a hard copy. The artwork that they use, I, um, I hate to start with the artwork, we're, we're a couple of writers, William, but uh, right. the uh, wow factor with Ringside Seed is something I've always been impressed by. When you started this publication, um, what, what was your, uh, you know what, I'm jumping into it. Can't we at least have some pleasantries? William, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm going <laughs> I'm right, doing I'm great. jumping right how into business. Oh, that's cool. I like it.
2: I like it. You can keep going all day. That's cool. You can keep talking about uh, Ringside Seed. That's great. Uh, I'm doing very well, and I hope you're doing as well. Also,
0: yeah, it's uh, I miss boxing. Uh, when I left um, the Buffalo News for the first time in 2007 to cover the NFL, um, you know, I had been the president of the Boxing Writers Association and had been uh, written a ton of boxing, but the NFL is such a that, um. I couldn't. I couldn't do both, and I really drifted away from boxing. And uh, but I, I do. Boxing is the foundation of my entire career, and uh, the journalism that can be found in boxing is so rewarding. So, uh, I've been looking forward to have you on to talk about the craft and uh, and your publication. Um, so, when you decided uh, to start ringside, start ringside, What was your What was your philosophy? Well, I should say
2: that it wasn't my idea. I didn't come up with it. Uh, The uh, founder is a guy named Michael Cronenberg, who was also the designer. Excuse me. So if we're going to praise the design, as well we should, uh, we should praise Michael Cronenberg because his design is just great. And uh, you did mention uh, that it's an e-magazine, and that's true. But uh, the last two issues, uh, we've done print versions, uh, which have gone over very well. And as you mentioned, the annuals uh, are also uh, print Uh, But again, we've done two print versions, those two issues, and they've sold very well. And if they continue to sell well, we'll continue to do more print versions. But the primary uh, version is uh, digital. But whether it's print or digital, man, the design is spectacular. It just looks so good. And that's all credit to, again, Michael Cronenberg, who also, uh, again, is the founder. And uh, he came to me uh, right before the launch of the first issue and uh, asked me to be the editor-in-chief. After um, I had written something for uh, the first issue and we uh, talked some and after some initial uh, reluctance, um, I agreed. uh, If for no other reason, then I was at a a point where I didn't want to say no to anything ever, or at least for a while. So i had never been editor-in-chief before, of course. When we worked together, uh, the editors were uh, Steve Farhard and uh, dominantly uh, Nigel Collins, right?
0: Yes. uh, And and Eric Raskin.
2: And Eric Raskin was uh, one of the editors over the tube managing editor. And, uh, yeah, so I hadn't been an editor in chief before, or even a managing editor. I just always written, but, uh, again, I decided to uh, say what the hell. And, uh, we're going into our fourth year. So it's been really fun.
0: What were your misgivings?
2: I, I don't consider myself an editor. I, I consider myself a writer and there are two different, two very different things, right. And two different skill sets, I guess. But, uh, i just didn 't think I could do it uh, but and i still don 't think I can right? <laughs> but we keep, I keep plugging along anyway, and uh, people seem to be happy with the results so far and it, you know it 's like anything i if i I get an issue and I see something that I missed that I should have gotten i my God, how did I miss that and, and that kind of thing, and it can you can always be better, you can always improve, and the product can always get better too. but mean, we have uh, such a great designer and leader in Michael Cronenberg and uh, the writers we got. You'll remember all these names. They're all the guys from the ring and KO. uh, For sure. It's it's Don Stradley, it's Steve Farhood, it's Nigel Collins, it's Eric Raskin. All are regular contributors to the magazine. Again, all veteran guys. Nigel's a Hall of Fame writer, Steve Farhood is a Hall of Fame writer and announcer. Don Stradley is one of the best guys in sport. uh, One of the best writers. And Eric Raskin, of course, was a managing editor at Ring for so long. And and has written uh, for so many different publications. Then we got a, another uh, group of guys who weren't associated with the ring. Oh, and Bobby Cassidy from the old ring and KO days also writes for us quite often. we got such a great cast of writers that they really make uh, my job as editor pretty damn easy.
0: So, Hall of Fame uh, guys, too.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Nigel and Steve are, all, are both in the Hall of Fame the rest of them should be. At some point.
0: Well, I meant but, Hall uh, of Fame people. I didn't mean just like the, the oh, literal oh, 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 sense of yeah. being in the International Boxing Hall of Fame, which is super cool. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah. these are, yeah, they're these are guys that are probably pretty easy to work with. Oh,
2: absolutely. And part of that is, well, they yeah, they all have a good temperament. They're all good guys. Uh, uh, but also because they're such good writers, uh, they're easy to work with because they know what's, they know what to deal with. They know how to do it. They know uh, uh, what a reader wants. And, again, most of them are former editors, too. So, that, again, that makes my job easy, too. Najib was an editor. Farher uh, was an editor. Uh, Raskin was an editor. So, it makes my job very easy. And they're all good guys, like you said.
0: Yeah, and, uh, and my apologies for, for not mentioning uh, Mr. Cronenberg right off the top. Because, yes, he is. Uh-huh.
2: Uh, uh-huh.
0: And, uh, but you're 12 issues in, so you've done 11 of them?
2: As the editor-in-chief, yeah.
0: Yeah, editor-in-chief. And then... Um, what um I don't recall the first issue, and um was it has it changed since you came aboard, or has it stayed pretty much the same approach
2: no it's exactly yeah, it's exactly the same issue We, we kind of joke around that we're like, we want to be the Paris review of boxing magazines uh or which which sounds really pompous, right <laughs> but we 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 do pride ourselves on the quality of the writing. If you if you want to look at it a, a little simpler or lower the bar a little bit, you could say um, early Sports Illustrated of boxing magazines. Right? Remember back in, in like the 70s how great Sports Illustrated was? You had a yeah. lot of long-form stuff, great writers. And uh, those guys really um, made it clear that you could write boxing as a kind of poetry. Those guys were so great, all those great old Sports Illustrated writers. And, uh, and so we like to think of ourselves as at least um, – Uh, measuring ourselves against the success of those guys in that old magazine because, you know, Sports Illustrated is not what it used to be. But back in the day, it was great. And so we just try to live up to that reputation and and that standard of quality that they had.
0: Yeah, Mark Cram and W.C. Hines and Bill Knack. I mean, you can go on uh, with so many different uh, writers uh, uh, at Sports Illustrated who uh, obviously we don't have writing like that anymore in that publication, really. Although Greg Bishop does a a fantastic job. He does. You're right. Um, Greg Bishop's uh, one of my all-time favorites, Um, but it's just not, it's not the same. It's not the way it used to be when you could have a boxing story in every issue of sports illustrated 52 times a year. You could see a a boxing feature about uh, somebody. Um, But you mentioned being the Paris review of boxing publications and you laughed when you said it, and I, but, but boxing, you can do that. Boxing lends itself to that kind of writing, and you just alluded to it. Um, but I want to ask you, I've had this discussion with people before, what do you think it is about boxing that lends itself to that style of writing that I don't think you could decide to have a Paris review of football or a Paris review of basketball? Baseball, yeah. maybe, because there's some lyricism and romanticism to baseball, um, yeah, you know, there's a reason Ken Burns did a documentary on it. Um, but right. what is it about boxing that allows this type of approach to uh, to journalism, to the printed word especially? But you also see it in yeah. in uh, you know, hey, look in film the, or in cinema. You know, boxing yeah. as much yeah. as boxing has maybe declined in interest. There still seems to be two or three boxing movies every year in the at uh, the yep. theaters
2: That's a real good question and a good observation.
0: Um, For me personally,
2: I'll tell you a a little anecdote that uh, explains it for me. Uh, I was talking to somebody once and I was annoyed about some commercial that had uh, appeared during a boxing program. I'm I'm annoyed at everything anyway, so I'm just complaining about some stupid commercial that was on. And the guy I was talking to said, yeah, I get that. You know, you're you're watching something and you're watching this entertainment to be entertained and blah, blah, blah. And that was the first time, I had ever considered that boxing is entertainment just like a sitcom would be or something stupid, something frivolous because it was always more serious to me than that. I would never call boxing entertainment, but I guess that's what it is. Right. For sure. Oh, that's why people watch sure. They want to be entertained, but it never seemed that way to me. It never seemed to be just that. It was so much more important than just entertainment. I never would have qualified it that way ever until that person said it to me. I was like, yeah, I guess it's entertainment. And maybe that's some of what's going on when other people, or able to look at it really seriously despite how ludicrous it is much of the time really seriously because there's something about it that makes it more than entertainment and it might be that people die doing it right uh or get really messed up doing it but people die and get messed up doing uh you know racing cars around in a circle too and but that's not the same thing either as boxing football um yeah exactly but again there is something um more serious about boxing. Uh, and, you know, we've, we've all heard a million times that it's a metaphor for life. You know, life knocks you down and whether you get back up is uh, you determine and you're allowed to decide your destiny in a lot of ways by just how hard you're willing to fight and uh, what you're willing to do. So it is a metaphor for life also. Um, and it is damaging and dangerous and it appeals um, to our basest senses and instincts. Right, it just does. Now, as Collins said once um, during his induction, uh, Hall of Fame induction uh, speech, that boxing survives because um, man had to evolve to be really brutish and violent um, in order to survive as a species. And there's still a lot of that in us. And boxing is a civilized way, a modern civilized way of of recognizing that, which I think is a really good way of putting it, right? so I guess all those things, but for, for me, at least, I never considered boxing to be something so frivolous as just entertainment, the way uh, a TV show would be entertainment. It's, it's much more serious than that. Again, despite how cartoonish it is long at the time. So I don't know if that answers your question fully, but. that's No, it does.
0: It does. Uh, I've always said when people ask me about it is that when it comes to boxing, um, well, let's just, I'll, I'll dial it back a little bit. When it comes to sports, uh, you can't really imagine. There's very few people on this planet who can imagine what it's like to hit a 100 mile an hour fastball or right. an 89 mile an hour curveball or mm-hmm. to look through a face mask and try to catch a right. ball and track it while a guy who runs a 4 3 is defending you um, right. on a football field or to dunk. But almost all of us. knows what it's like to be punched in the face and that (laughs) we don't like it and that it's hard that (laughs) when you get punched in the face, a good majority of us will tear up and cover up and maybe curl into a fetal position or some of us fight back or whatever, but there's, we know what it's like. And to watch a guy get punched in the head, whether it was accidental or you're playing with, you know, playing with your buddies or you really did get in a fight, um, you, you can put yourself in that situation and very few yeah. sports. You can do that. You know, I uh, racing sure, around a dirt track on the back of a horse. I can't, I can't imagine what that's like, but I've been punched right. in the face. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, the it's one thing so, uh, regarding a, the ahead. soap, the soap opera aspect of it or the reality show aspect of it, uh, William is, is interesting to me because that I, I had somebody mention that to me about football a few years ago, and it really, really hit home with me regarding, I think maybe it was around the time of the Ray Rice scandal. Um, and people talking about, and, and we've heard it about boxing. It's one of the main, if you had to rank the storylines of boxing, number one might be, well, boxing's really done it to itself again. Uh, another black eye for boxing. Um yep. And people were saying that about the NFL and how ashamed and disgraced and oh, could this be the? And somebody mentioned to me, this is all part of the show. This is all you're going to tune in next week, and so the show doesn't just exist on Sunday afternoons anymore. It exists seven days a week because we're following these lives and these storylines that 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 bleed out of the sport, and right, right. Um, and boxing is is kind of. Uh, I think boxing wishes it had some of that, on uh, you know, Monday through Friday, uh, storylines about, uh, what's Oh yeah, going absolutely. The
2: yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. Um, I think too about boxing and we all know it's, uh, it's almost entirely unregulated and what regulation there is. They're just like criminals, right? Just extorting money from boxers for, uh, belts and titles and all that stuff. Uh, so, um, the interesting thing i thought about is if that all went away, right? If the thing that, the things that drive boxing fans crazy about boxing, like all the belts and all the superfluous weight classes and all the bullshit, if that all went away and it became more like football, right? Where they're only, a, the athletes are very, uh, limited in terms of what they can say or they get fined or they get fined by a league and everybody has to, um, kind of conform or they're told to kind of conform to a certain uh, image. Um, I kind of would miss the anarchy of boxing. Oh, for sure. Right. will no complain about how silly it is, but, and it is uh, completely silly, but I think I would kind of miss some of that chaos if it became more uh, mainstream and watered down to um, more corporate, I guess is a good word. No, I don't know. I'm not much of a other sport fan. I don't know a football, if the NFL is considered like corporate, but to, Looking from uh, oh, a boxing it, perspective, it looks, the most like it, corporate. Yeah, it looks like it all you know, it's it's in, guys in suits making decisions about everything and uh everybody's gotta stay in line. So and believe me, guys in suits uh make all the decisions in boxing too, and they have all the money, but it's just a it, it's just a mess. <laughs> and that's off you know, like a lot of things, it's good and bad. That's what makes it fun and what makes it awful too. So I don't know.
0: What do you you know, that's it. It brings to mind um, an interview I did with John McCain in the early two thousands for uh, Ring Magazine. It was a q and A, uh, and it was it was really kind of surreal for Tim Graham, then of the Buffalo News in two thousand and one or whenever it was, to be interviewing John McCain about boxing reform and establishing a national boxing commission. Yeah. yeah. Um, how? What do you think would be different? Because I think you look back in the early two thousands in boxing had a lot more names to it. You know, you still had De La Hoya and Trinidad and, you know, a lot of those types of names were still floating around. What do you, I don't, and this is a question I didn't even think I'd ask you. So I, I mean, I I don't even know where I'm going with it, but I guess how how would it, how do you think it'd be different if you could flash go back in time and have, have John McCain be successful in establishing that commission? What do you think boxing would look like today?
2: Ugh. uh, I don't think it would be terribly different. Maybe we'd have a, a few uh, fewer weight classes or uh, organizing uh, commissions and uh, maybe a few less belts. I don't know. It's, it's absolute chaos in terms of how many quote unquote champions there are. But um, I don't have a lot of faith in, in politicians uh,
0: uh, these days or any days. I suppose. What are you talking about, man? They seem to be getting everything else right. Uh, oh, yeah, I don't everybody. think they could assault. I it. <laughs> exactly. Uh,
2: so no, I, I don't think. I think it would be. Uh, it probably be just as bad, just in different ways. You know, it's it's the same kind of the same kind of uh, person running uh, in politics as uh, you know, president of the WBO. That's the same guy. You know what I'm saying? That's and that's a cynical take, of course, but uh, that's the way I see it. So I don't think. Uh, a lot would be different again. Maybe uh, there'd be you know
0: fewer champions, quote unquote. But it'd be the same deal. It'd be the same. Yeah, deal. you're Thank probably you. right. We're the two cynics uh, us uh, together are. Yeah, we. It would be the same. probably worse. Probably worse. Yeah. Maybe, you'd probably yeah, have probably. fights. Maybe more fights happening overseas because of whatever, um, whatever restrictions, added restrictions that would be in place. Uh, that would make it yeah. tough to hold a fight in Dallas, for instance, right? Um, right. As, as is happening this weekend with uh, Errol Spence and Danny Garcia. And we'll touch on that. But uh, just another point based on what you were saying about the, the freedom of sure. boxing and and being able to cover it and um, and how how much fun it is to cover these guys. They're all untethered and unfettered. Yep. It was and just my, crazy
2: a lot of the time. Yeah.
0: Right. And I, I did a story on Muhammad Ali uh, for the athletic uh, couple of months back and I picked up the phone and I called Larry Holmes. And I mean, uh-huh. in well, I guess you can do that in the NFL too with a retired guy, but you can just pick up a phone and call these guys at home. Yeah. You can call the yep. manager, you can call the promoter, you can call the fighter himself. Um, right. There'd be five layers of PR you'd have to get through to fair. talk to a coach, uh, especially yep. if he's not the head coach in the NFL because eh, no, 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 that's top secret. We need, everything has to right. go through one voice Um, it needs to be vetted all these, you know, you, you could pick up uh, a phone and and talk to Jesse Reed, you know, or whomever I'm talking, I'm just pulling out a a trainer back in the day and he talked to you and he wouldn't have to go check with five people before he answered your question. That's right. right.
2: Absolutely. Right. Anybody could call Emmanuel Stewart if they had his phone number and then we to talking for an hour, you know, it's just the kind of access you have in, in, uh, in boxing is, I imagine, unlike in any other sport, and, and it's great, but, uh, but it's less, it's more restrictive now than, than it used to be. Remember, like we talked about those old Sports Childish article articles, articles in those days, uh, the editor of Sports Childish said, would say to Mark Cram, Ali's uh, training for a fight up in Deer Lake, go hang out there for a week and send us
0: your stories, right? Yeah. Um,
2: and he would just look there at the camp and be there every day. That, that doesn't happen now at all.
0: With 15 other guys just like him, like George Plimpton or whoever.
2: Exactly right. You know, and exactly they'd right. all be there. Exactly. Exactly. So it's more restrictive today. That stuff never happens. But, like you said, I can, I can call uh, just about any uh, fighter or, at this point, reach out to someone who knows them on Facebook or Twitter or any, any various social media platforms uh, and, and get somebody. It's that easy. And part of it is, I think, is because – is because boxing is low on um, boxing is low on the totem pole, right, in terms of popularity and all that stuff. So fighters, a lot of time, are, are more, uh, and their people, uh, are more receptive, to uh, getting coverage than you know a football player who's had his ass kissed from the time he was in junior high school, right?
0: Yeah, I, I but I I think it's always been that way, even when boxing was huge. You know, I, we keep using the Sports Illustrated example, but it does really speak That's to. And- the symbolism of it, you know, when boxing was on the cover yeah. of Sports Illustrated, you could still you know probably sure. pick up the phone yeah. and talk to Marvin Hagler. And uh he'd yep. you know, answer the phone, Joe Frazier, whomever. Um yep. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I miss being in that world, being able to do that because uh covering the NFL, that is that is true. <laughs> that just doesn't happen. Oh, I can't yeah. Doesn't yeah. happen. I can't admit. Yep. Um yep. So let's talk about uh, Errol Spence and Danny Garcia. It's an interesting fight this sure. weekend uh, in Dallas, or I should say Arlington, Texas, not technically Dallas, uh, which is Errol Spence's hometown. But um, fascinating fight for a number of reasons. Um, Errol Spence hasn't fought in a year plus. Um, yep. and, but Danny Garcia hasn't been active either. If you take a look at his yep. – uh, I think he's fought four times in the last four years. Um Errol Spence has actually been the busier of the two fighters since 2017, and his car crash has kept him out of the ring for a year. He's decided not to take a tune-up fight. Uh, Danny Garcia, 36 and two with 21 knockouts, um, but he's favored, and I'm talking about Errol Spence. Errol Spence is favored. Yeah. Uh, I guess what, what? Just your general thoughts, uh, William, about. About Errol Spence, we there's so much we don't know about him. Given his recovery, what are you comfortable with uh, when you look at this fight and, and trying to trying to envision what's going to happen? Well, we're about
2: to find out. How <laughs> yeah, has gone. The, the big question everybody keeps asking is, uh, is it the same fighter? Is it the same fighter? And he might be. Uh, Willie Pep survived a plane crash and went on to win a hundred fights. Okay. Uh, Errol Spence driving like a jackass in his Lamborghini. Uh, Well, I can't call him a jackass because, you know what, if I was driving a Lamborghini, I probably would have done the same thing. What's the point
0: of owning a Lamborghini if you're not going to take it triple digits?
2: Exactly. If you're doing 50 miles an hour
0: in a Lamborghini, you've
2: missed a point, right? But anyway, so, yeah, we don't don't really know if it'll be the same guy. Uh, My sense is he probably will be. He's a young enough guy, and he's an athlete, and uh, he works hard. Uh, I think he'll be okay most people I think are, are basing their opinion on what the outcome will be on whether he's the same guy and presuming that if he's the same guy, he wins. And if he's not the same guy, or if he's compromised somehow from the injuries and the car crash, then Garcia wins. But I think it's, it's a much more interesting fight than that because more than anything, styles make fights more than, or at least as much as uh, car crashes. Right. And um, Spence is a, a, a big, strong South bomb. Big bruising guy who hits real hard, has good enough skills, is not especially fast. And um, the two guys who have beaten Danny Garcia officially are Sean Porter and Keith Thurman, right? Sean Porter did it uh, just by uh, outworking Danny Garcia, which is how he beats most guys, right? That's his whole. That's his whole. Uh, his whole. Uh, 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 method of winning he just outworks everybody and Keith Thurman did it by being really fast and athletic and Garcia is slow he just couldn't keep up with uh Thurman who would get in and throw a combination and get out before uh, Garcia would punch so uh for me it's an interesting um uh, style matchup because Spence isn't uh going to outwork uh Garcia I think because he's not that kind of guy really and he's not going to outspeed him because he's not that kind of guy really so um I think it's a really interesting uh um matchup in terms of their styles and um i i lean towards spence because he's been more successful against um a caliber of fighter that's equally as good as the guys that garcia has fought but i see a garcia as a very live underdog
0: what do we know and i underscore the word no about errol spence's injuries and how serious they were i don't think we know much of anything I think a lot of it was kept under wraps because Errol Spence is
2: a a commodity, right, in terms of his boxing career, and uh, PBC wasn't about to let uh, too much information out, especially if it was serious. And I I can't um, recall, and maybe it's out there and I just haven't seen it, but I can't recall seeing any any sparring footage of, uh, well, there's a little, I guess, on the uh, promo they're doing of him uh, sparring and working out. He seems fine. Again, he's a young kid. He's not like uh, he's 40 or anything when stuff starts breaking down, but we don't really know as far as, or I should say, I don't really know how serious it was. If it I, don't was it, I don't know how it wasn't more serious the way we were flying out of that car. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If you said we saw the wreckage, we saw the the, yeah. uh, the car. Uh, we didn't yep. really see much of Errol Spence uh, afterwards. Uh, if he is, let's, let's say uh, that the car crash, uh, especially after this fight, people say, all right, it's a blip and we don't need to worry about it anymore. Uh, he looks impressive enough against Danny Garcia, even if he has to outpoint him. Um, what, uh, where is Errol Spence in, you know, everybody likes to talk about pound for pound and that type of thing, but just in the, in the grand scheme of boxing, how, how important is Errol Spence if he's able to be, um, if he's able to show that he's back? He's important
2: only to the degree that a fight between he and Terrence Crawford can be made. That's the best answer I can give you. Um, and we keep talking about, uh, and it's, it's inevitable when you're talking about boxing, we keep looking back to how things used to be, right? Uh, Ray Leonard and Thomas Hearns fought each other, the two best welterweights in the world, when they were in their early 20s, right? Uh, that Spence and Terrence Crawford who is recognized generally as, if not the best welterweight, then the second best right behind Spence, uh, are in their, uh, well past the ages when uh, Hearns and Leonard were and have not fought, and the way Crawford talks, he's not really interested in it. He doesn't need him. Now, that just might be you know, typical pre-fight bravado, but um, I think for both of them, for uh, Errol Spence and Terence Crawford, uh, they're only as important as uh, they are if they can make this fight um, especially if Spence looks good against Garcia. As you that say, they haven't yet that they haven't yet been an indictment on boxing. Uh,
0: I, st- I, stepped indictment. On, I stepped on your quote there, uh, William, okay. an indictment on boxing?
2: that they haven't fought each other yet is an indictment on boxing. Yeah. And boxing doesn't need any more indictments, right? It's got enough. They're piling up, <laughs> but uh, another black eye for that, boxing. Yeah, we've run out of, we ran out of eyes a long time ago. Long time ago. we got more eyes <laughs> yes. than
0: anything else. Boxing's been blind for decades.
2: Exactly
0: um, right. You came up with the perfect seg- uh, segue uh, to talk about how boxing's always looking in the past, uh, to talk about uh, Mike Tyson and Roy Jones. However, let's stay in the present for a little bit longer. Okay. Uh, because All this right. fight also happened just a few days ago. Uh, Daniel Dubois, the heavyweight prospect, uh, who uh-huh. a lot of people were high on, uh, yeah, me too. Knocked yep. out by Joe Joyce, who I don't think is Joe Joyce. You take a look at his record. Uh, pretty impressive. This is a guy who's undefeated and he's fought a lot of guys with very, uh, he hasn't taken that road where he got to 12 or 15 and O by fighting guys who are 12 and 20, at least, uh, at least I'll say that for him. Uh, but anyway, Daniel Dubois was considered the favorite in this fight. Joe Joyce, uh, humbled him. Um, What's to say about Daniel Dubois?
2: Well, he just got shown up. He's a, he's a big, strong guy who hits real hard. And sometimes we overrate sluggers. Uh, I did a bit uh, in picking him to be, to win this fight. But again, it comes back to styles. Uh, if a big slugger runs into somebody he can't hurt, uh, he's going to be in trouble a lot of the time. And, he would, and in this case, Dubois couldn't hurt Joyce. He was just like a a tank of a guy who's just real slow and looks awkward and, and looks like he hasn't really learned yet the rudimentary, even the rudimentary stuff about how to box, but he gets the job done. He's just one of those guys who just looks like he can't do it. And you sit there and watch him and say, this guy's terrible. How's he, how's he not lost this year And before you know it, four rounds go by and he's won. He's just one of those guys. who's just awkward and really hard to hurt. And he just wore Dubois uh, uh, down and uh, hammered his eye closed. Really, it was surprising to me. But he's going to be one of those guys who just uh, fights beyond his ability, I think, uh, for a while.
0: We're in conversation with William Detloff. He's the editor-in-chief of Ringside Seat and also the author of Ezard Charles, A Boxing Life. And he's working on another book. We'll touch on that before we wrap up. But uh, uh, William uh, Tyson and Jones. Uh, We had the opportunity to have this discussion last week. We talked it out and we decided not to talk last week on Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK because we didn't want to have it be a Tyson Jones preview show. We thought that Errol Spence and Danny Garcia was a much more legitimate reason to have this conversation. But now that Tyson Jones is over and we see that there have been 1.1 million uh, pay-per-view buys What do you make of this event in retrospect? Uh,
2: What I make of it is that we're going to see a whole lot more of it uh, in the near future. (laughs) Tyson's just always been that guy. He's always been, he's always had it, right? He's charismatic and he's 54 now, right? And people will still show up to see him find a guy. You know, people weren't uh, buying this to watch Roy Jones. Roy Jones couldn't sell a ticket 10 years ago. Right, Roy Jones had a hard time selling tickets 20 years ago. I
0: was going to say, yeah.
2: Yeah. But people will will always show up to watch Mike Tyson. There's a reason uh,
0: Roy Jones had to keep fighting in Biloxi and Pensacola.
2: Exactly right. Exactly right. People will always show up to watch Mike Tyson fight. And uh, I didn't buy it, but I wasn't as disgusted by it as a, a lot of hardcore boxing fans seem to be who forget how boxing embarrasses itself on a weekly basis. I don't know how this is anything worse than, you know, having 18 champions in the division, but, but okay. Uh, or Mayweather, kind
0: of ask, uh, Conor McGregor.
2: Yeah. Right. It, yeah. There's, it, boxing will never sink deep enough. Um, uh, there's no place to which boxing won't sink. I'll, I'll, uh, sink. I'll, I'll put it that way. If there's money involved. Okay. Uh, Tyson fighting an elephant or a bear is not off the table. <laughs> right. If it doesn't it, make enough money, it'll happen. And so he's going to keep fighting guys, other older guys, presumably, like Shannon Briggs or just talk about Holyfield and, and that kind of thing. And people are going to pay to watch it. And you know what? I would pay to watch Tyson Holyfield 3. I just would. And i look at it this way. And I, didn't, I should say I didn't pay to watch Tyson Jones because there's one thing. There's a difference between not being disgusted by it and even being curious about it and buying it. Okay? Um, but if, if you were out somewhere and you saw Mike Tyson and, and Evander Holyfield getting into a little fender bender and about to throw fists, <laughs> you, would, you well, you would you stop and you watch it?
0: Well, would you stop and watch it if it was William Detloff and Tim Graham or any two human beings? <laughs> exactly. Right, people would have exactly their phones right.
2: out. Exactly right. Exactly right. And, and make it, Mike Tyson? Shit, yeah. People are going to watch that.
3: <laughs> In a heartbeat.
2: So I'm not terribly surprised that it uh, it got that many uh, buys, um, despite the awful commentating and the, the circus like atmosphere that surrounded the uh, production, because it's Mike Tyson, man, and people are going to show up to watch him fight. And if I can say this, and I'm going to get a lot of shit from people for this, Mike Tyson can still fight a little bit. I watched the uh, I watched it uh, on YouTube. The Tyson Jones fight is on YouTube, and he does things that. I don't see a lot of modern heavy, active heavyweights do. He's, he takes a step to the right to get the right angle for the, uh, the left hook he uses his feet like that. There aren't a lot of guys doing that active young heavyweights who just don't, don't have those skills. Tyson's still got him. Guy's 54 years old. Still got him.
0: Maybe, you know, so the ans- maybe, you know, the answer to this, William, <laughs> why did this have to be an exhibition uh, could this fight, could these fights as they move forward, like you say, Shannon Briggs or Evander Holyfield, um, is it possible that these become considered non-exhibitions? That could be legitimate fights? I don't and know. What's the reason, what's the reason why it has to be an exhibition? Is it just a, for uh, like, for, for liability reasons or something?
2: Yeah, I was going to say when, when the, uh, when the possibility, when it becomes accept- acceptable to um, rake in as much as more money than what would be uh, what the states would be liable for sanctioning it, they'll stop being exhibition fights. I think part of it in this case was probably um, Jones really wanted it to be an exhibition. He made it clear that uh, it seemed to me anyway that he made it clear that he wasn't terribly excited about this and was doing it for the money and was pretty afraid that Tyson was going to hurt him. Um, I don't know. I think uh, if it happens a couple more times and, and nobody embarrasses themselves and nobody gets hurt, then it could be legitimate fights, you know, with regular-sized gloves and three-minute rounds. And, you know, things are – things would get changed all the time. Look at – you know, when, when George Foreman came back in 1987 at 38 to 39 years old, people were – Freddie Pacheco was saying, you're going to have a heart attack. Don't do it. And everybody laughed at him. And we know what happened in that story. And uh, believe me, I'm not saying Mike Tyson is going to win the heavyweight title. But things – that seemed impossible then, are um, are common now, right? You got guys fighting into their 40s all the time. Not all the time, but a lot of guys fight well in their upper 30s and um, in uh, in today's game. And so uh, we're going to see stuff like this more.
0: Other sports and too. You're where... Tom Brady yeah, playing absolutely. at a very high level into his mid 40s. Yep. Um, you know, yep. go back to when Nolan Ryan and, and George Foreman were considered freaks. Uh, now yep. you're seeing all, you know, major league players going into their forties. Uh, you see hockey players have done it. Um, now, yep. granted, you're not taking the abuse, especially to your skull. Uh, right. You know, like, you know, quarter Tom Brady's pretty protected back there, even though he's playing a violent right. game. Uh, but, yep. yeah, it's um, it'll be interesting to see how this goes. Like you say, 1.1 million buys is, uh, is uh, a heavy number. That's a big number.
2: Yeah. And, uh, you know, you could, you could put together uh, Spence and Crawford on a pay-per-view show. They're not going to do that. And, listen, and consider that. If the guy's in their prime or a little past their prime, two of the best fighters in the world, uh, the best two guys in their weight class, and they won't get as many pay-per-view buys as Mike Tyson or Roy Jones. Think about that.
0: Another indictment. Black eye for boxing, William. <laughs> uh, what, uh, what other fights do you want to see? Uh, what, um, what, what excites you about, uh, what's, what's out there?
2: Hmm. Um, well, I, I, mentioned several times already, of course, uh, Crawford and, and Spence, right. Uh, anytime, uh, Canelo fights, uh, a, a good guy and he mostly fights, uh, good fighters. I'm excited. The guy is, uh, a superb fighter. Um, I like uh, uh, Caleb Plant a lot. That's, that doesn't get a lot of love right now. Uh, but he's a really exciting and, and talented guy. Uh, David Benavidez and his uh, division. There's yeah. lots, there are lots of good fighters. And, and that's kind of um, the drag of, uh, of uh, boxing not being as uh, commercially uh, successful as it used to be. Is people think, well, that's because the fighters all suck nowadays. That's not true. There's a lot of good fighters out there who just, people just don't know about. Because the exposure isn't there like it used to be, right? You remember how it was in the uh, 70s when, you know, World Championship fights were on Channel 7 on a Friday night, right?
0: And the whole Even in the run. 90s and early 2000s, you knew four or five yeah. names in every division. You know, maybe not in Bantamweights or Flyweights, but, sure. I mean, from Johnny Tapia and Pauly Ayala on up, uh, you yes. knew the guy. And so there are a lot of good fighters out
2: there now, but they're just not getting the exposure. So uh, people tend to conflate uh, the lack of commercial success with the quality of the product, which isn't necessarily, uh, uh, doesn't necessarily correlate. There are lots of good fighters out there uh, who just don't get the exposure that fighters in previous generations did.
0: What about the heavyweight division though, William? Is there, everybody used to say, just wait for the next Ali now it's just wait for the next Tyson. My problem is you can find the next Tyson, maybe. I mean, that as difficult as that is. Let's say that's virtually impossible because we already spent time right. talking about how special of a personality Mike Tyson is. But right. you need guys for him to beat. You need names to build off of to get that mystique. Yep. Um, and so you can uncover a really talented heavyweight, but – yeah you, there's nobody necessarily to compare them to so you can climb that ladder
2: yeah the big problem uh in america there there are lots of good heavyweights, but uh not of america america so the the heavyweight division is in a pretty bad place in the United States because the big guys and the big guys who are good athletes are going to other sports right where there's big money, yeah. and they're not going to get off as much and they're not going to get uh, uh their brains scrambled as much um, I'd rather. I guess I'd rather be a um, a linebacker uh, in the NFL than a fighter, maybe. Right? Seems like a good gig.
0: It's tough to get um, a free college education off being a boxer. Also, you can yeah, get a yeah, exactly right. The, the yeah. natural progression of being a seventeen-year-old who happens to be good in football and and at having right. somebody grant you a free education, even if you're not into it, which is sure. a conversation that can be That's had. Fair. Just because you're right. in a sport right. doesn't mean you love it. And to be in boxing, right. you have to love it. You have to love it. Every, every, every you really sports, have you can fake it for, for your education, for the money, whatever. But boxing, That's you true. have to love it.
2: That's a good point. I hadn't considered. You're right. But it, and it's much easier, too. Every high school has a football team, right? If yeah. you're 16 and you love yeah. boxing, is there a boxing gym in your hometown? Probably
0: not. You probably have to
2: travel a little the bit. Place. Yeah, exactly right which is uh, a reflection of this sport's popularity. They have been
0: for decades. I mean, they've, they've been exactly. closed. I want right. to say this is a recent trend. They've been closed.
2: Right, right. And so a lot of uh, guys who, like in the 60s and 70s, who would be boxing are linebackers or power forwards or even guards. They'd be heavyweights, right, in boxing, but they're going to basketball and football and uh, MMA, right? Got to say that, too. Going sure. to MMA, guys who create violence and want to fight but they're not going into uh, boxing gyms. Uh, so in America, uh, heavyweight boxing is not a great place. Uh, there are some good uh, foreign uh, heavyweights uh, who are getting, you know, a little bit of exposure, but there's, there's no one, and a lot of people like Tyson Fury, mostly people, in my view, uh, mostly people in Europe. Uh, I think he's, he's an interesting guy and talks a good game, but I don't think he's really taking off in America, nor do I think he will. His doesn't his fighting style isn't um as aesthetically pleasing as I think a heavyweight style needs to be in America. Um so yeah, the heavyweight division is pretty good if you're in Europe and not so great if you're in the United
0: States and you want to, you know, an American heavyweight to do well. William before I let you go, let's talk about uh let's talk about the book you have written. One of you've written multiple books, but your most recent uh, published book is Ezard Charles a boxing life and uh, working on another um, tell me about the process of writing a book compared to uh, writing a feature I mean I know it's obviously way different but the mindset and and that's always just seemed very intimidating to me the idea of writing a book
2: yeah it is and it's a it's a whole different thing uh, uh, mentally right if I'm writing a feature and you and i you know you can appreciate this if I'm writing a feature um, how I'm writing is uh, maybe even a little more important than what I'm writing. You know what I'm saying? I'm concentrating on the actual writing. I'm getting facts in there and, and the stuff that needs to be in there from a uh, journalist's point of view, but I'm concentrating more on how I'm writing. In a book, it's all about what you're writing, at least for me. You gotta make sure the information, and there's a lot of information if you're doing a biography, right? You gotta get shit right. You have to get stuff right when you're writing a biography. Uh, and when I wrote the as a Charles book and, and when I'm writing the book now, the thing I'm thinking about constantly as I'm researching is how awful it would be to know that somebody picked up this book and was reading and said, and looked at something I wrote and said, that's just wrong. That's not what happened. That yeah. to me is the worst possible outcome to have a book out there where something is just factually wrong. I could, I could take somebody saying, yeah this isn't, it's, it's okay. Written, you know, it's not, um, it's not changing the landscape or anything in terms of the way it's written, but the facts are all right. That's more important to me in writing a book than in a feature. You know, you wanna get the facts right in a feature, of course, but it's there are far fewer facts that you're gonna worry about in a feature than are all in a book. So for me, that's um, really the, uh, the hardest thing about writing a book like this, a biography, is I got somebody over my shoulder constantly saying, make sure that's right. Do everything you can to make sure that's right. Because again, the book's gonna be around forever, right? Uh, and I don't want somebody looking at it saying that jackass got that wrong. How do you get that wrong?
0: Yeah. The other it's thing too is that it's the foundation of maybe somebody else's story that they're going to write about as their Charles. And you don't want to perpetuate something that's incorrect. You know, it's uh, sure you want yep. this to be the definitive work on this man's yep. life. Otherwise sure. you're wasting your time.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Right.
0: Yep. So what, you, no, no, what are you working
2: on now? I'm working on a, a biography of Matthew Saad Muhammad, uh, really one of the most beloved and uh, exciting fighters of his era. You remember him, of course, in the 80s. It was a great, great era for boxing and American boxing. And, uh, uh, boxing and I think on TV. because of that, he great. got
0: overlooked because there were so many big names in boxing. And yes, if, you've watched, if you followed boxing, then you, you knew exactly what Matthew Saad Muhammad was all about and you fell right. in love with him. But if you were a casual fan... You were probably more, you know, it was more Ali, and or not Ali, but um, uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, Hagler, and and uh, and those guys.
2: Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the boxing was was so full of great boxers, uh, Arguello and Mancini, even at the lighter weights, and Howard Davis and the whole 76 Olympic team coming up. And, yeah, there were so many great fights and so many great fighters. So he might have gotten lost in the mix there a bit, but his, his his fights were simply more exciting than anybody else's fights. Every all the time. Every single fight was life and death. And he was a top, top fighter in the deepest light heavyweight division ever. It was really a great time for a lot of heavyweights and fans of um boxing. I mean he's got a um awful story, uh, which is probably why I'm attracted to it, right? Sure. But uh it's, it's very interesting and, and tragic, uh, but it, it shocks me that, um, similar to the of Charles book, I'm shocked that nobody's written it before. I can't believe I'm the first one to uh, say, hey, let's write a book about this guy because he was so exciting and sold up and has such an
0: interesting story. You weren't interested in writing the 1,427th book on Muhammad Ali?
2: Yeah, exactly exactly
0: and and further
2: i don't i don't really understand i know lots of guys do it and and good for them but i don't i don't think i could write a biography of somebody who's already got a biography written about them what's the
0: point (laughs) i was asked by a friend in the publishing business to write a ali book uh, for his uh that's that's the only uh that's the only book i've written it was about muhammad ali as a conscientious objector and well there uh, you go from the from that point of view, I could see how it could work and be fun. But it was narrowed. It was narrowed in focus, but it was still, it felt like I was writing a book report because everything's out there. It was all research. It was not as much, you know, I prefer to do interviews than, than research. But so let me ask you this, you know, uh, Matthew Saad Muhammad has been gone for a few years, uh, but the era that he fought in, a lot of people are gone too. How have you found the research to be for this book?
2: A lot of more of them are around than you would think. A lot of them are gone, you're right. Uh, But there are still some guys around who sparred with him, who were friends with him, who promoted him, who managed him. Uh, His family's still around. Uh, Some guys, a lot of guys who fought him uh, are still around. Um, With the Ezra Charles book, that was a bigger problem. There was just nobody around, right? Nobody to talk to, hardly at all. But in a way, that was, um, in a way, that's liberating. Because if you're using entirely loose paper and magazine accounts, and that's all that really is, nobody can come back and say, hey, that's wrong if it was in every newspaper at the time, I don't really have a choice. That's what I have to go with. Right. Yes, true. Um, But yeah, but there are some people around uh, who were friends with him and associates and
0: more than one would think. Okay. I guess I'm thinking back in the eighties and, you know, cause you think of the people who are around boxers are generally older, you know, the managers, the promoters, um, you know, the backers and all that type of stuff. Um, well, that's good that you have uh, you have uh, a lot to pull from. How, and has it how has it been? Have you has it been more enjoyable than the Ezra Charles process? And does no, it matter it that you've not, already written a book,
2: a biography? No, I is, yeah, both of those. It's no, it's, it doesn't make it better at all. It doesn't make it better <laughs> at all. It's absolute agony.
0: <laughs> it's absolute agony. It can be torture. Hey, we were it talking is. about it earlier, about you know what it's like to get punched in the face. Uh, uh-huh. I know what you're talking about. I'd rather get punched in the face.
2: Yeah, it's terrible. And it, I'm supposed to process itself. It's terrible for some people. But for me, it's, it's just awful. It's torture. It's like, uh, uh, it's like running a marathon, I guess, where the whole time you're doing it, it's just terrible, this is terrible, this is terrible. Then when you get done, you say, yeah, let's do that again sometime. But the whole time you're doing it, it's just torture, <laughs> agony. <laughs>
0: William Detloff, veteran chief of Ringside Seat and also author of Ezra Charles, A Boxing Life. And does your uh, Matthew Saad Muhammad book have a working title? Uh,
2: It does. Uh, It is um, Matthew Saad Muhammad, Boxing's, Muhammad, Matthew Saad Muhammad, Boxing's Miracle Man.
0: Okay. And is there uh, any... Do you want to tease a date, or when, uh, when does this uh, become available?
2: It will be out uh, next year from McFarland, sometime next year. Okay. It might be late in the year, but it'll be next year.
0: Yep. Good luck with the process, because you're right. He is one of those – that's an untapped great boxing story.
2: Yeah, and I think so.
0: Boxing books, uh, there are a lot of them, much like we were talking you know, earlier in this uh, conversation regarding moving. Boxing books, you, you, I do it every time I step into a Barnes & Noble. I go to the sports section and I see what yep. boxing books have been written. And that yep. those two or three shelves of boxing books never seem to get smaller or uh, however many books, depending on the size of your Barnes & Noble. But sometimes right. It's, right. It's, they always have the same number of books and they're always new books. So people are writing boxing books. People obviously are buying them or else they wouldn't still be published. And uh, the material is just too good. It's too good. And so. Exactly. The history is so rich and the stories are so great. How could they, How could you not write books about them? Because I'm intimidated and I'm a failure in life. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do one one day. I actually have an idea. I'll talk to you about it off, off the air because uh, I, don't wanna, I don't want to I don't want to spill it. But um, I'll talk to you about it later uh, later tonight. I'll send you a note about what I'm thinking because somebody's already okay. done this book. But I okay. don't know I don't I don't know if there's still material to be to be had. But we'll see. Okay. Well,
2: let me give me give you a piece of advice. I think you should do it, and don't do it. Those are my two pieces of advice. It's <laughs> torture. I think you should do it because you're a great writer, and you and you should write a book. And I also think that it's torture, and uh, it won't be worth your time. <laughs> It'll be <laughs> agony.
0: That's the that's other thing body. I hear is when you break out the uh, the hourly wage. Uh, it is yep. uh, that yep. is when you really think I I had no business uh, writing this book
2: exactly right so if you do if you, anytime anybody and writers know this you can't write for the money man you just can't do it you just can't do it because you can go pick up garbage and make more per hour than you will write in the book so you just got to do it because you have to not because you need the money or whatever right you I'm just have to write because you have to,
0: i'm just pulling this off my, off the top of my head but did i see something about your ezard charles book uh maybe going farther than a book
2: uh, yeah, a, a production company some months ago uh, optioned it with the intent to make it a, a feature film. Um, but whenever I say that, I feel guilty because uh, there are about 14,000 things that would have to go right, exactly right, for it to become a film, a feature film, right? Uh, yeah, you hear these is, horror just, stories.
0: Anybody who's ever encountered somebody in the entertainment business, that, yeah, that's, yeah. it means very little. But, the thing that means a lot can't happen without this step
2: exactly yeah. right that's exactly the perfect way to put it exactly right for the big thing to happen this has to happen but this happening doesn't necessarily mean the big thing is going to happen in fact it probably won't the odds against uh you know lots many many projects get an option vote on them and never go anywhere so but yeah this
0: has to happen in order for anything else to happen so we'll see it what sounds happens. cool it's a good story And when you say it, if you tweet it, put it on Facebook, which is where I saw it, uh, was when you tweeted it, um, Mm -hmm. maybe it sells a few more books. Exactly right. It can't hurt. can't hurt. Unless people say, you know what, I'll wait for the movie to come out.
2: That's a good point. But then by then, you don't care how many
0: books you've sold. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) I guess it's a win-win. Yeah, I guess. Thanks so much for doing this, William. Uh, it's great to get caught up and to talk boxing, period, uh, let alone talk boxing with you. Um, anything you want to mention before we go?
2: No, I think I'm good. And, and thanks very much for having me on, Sam. It was a real pleasure talking with you, and uh, I hope we can do it again.
0: William Detloff, editor-in-chief of Ringside <laughs> Seat, author of Matthew Saad Mahama. Uh, but, but let me say that again. <laughs> I don't know what that was. That was uh, – some.
2: Uh, she, I messed it up, and I knew you messed it up, because the, I messed
0: it up, that's why. The band that did uh, Big Shark, that's their next song, is Matthew Saad Muhammad. No, uh, he's, uh, he's working on Matthew Saad Muhammad, Boxing's Miracle Man, already on the shelves, and at Amazon.com, Ezard Charles, A Boxing Life, maybe coming to a theater screen near you, and, uh, and again... Editor of ringside seat. I'm a subscriber. You should be a subscriber too. check it out at ringsidemag.com. Um, great. Great. Ringside seat. By the way. I'm sorry. What did I say?
2: That's okay. I think you said ringside.com. It's ringside seat, mag.
0: Ringside mag. Dot com. Uh, I'm still a subscriber, regardless of what the website is. <laughs> I'm going to hold up that. the uh, the uh, review copy right now. The artwork is fantastic. The writing is even better. And uh, for any boxing fan or any fan of sports uh, literature, uh, because the, the writing is great, and it is the Paris Review of Boxing Publications. Uh, William Detloff, the editor-in-chief of Ringside Seat. Thanks so much. Thank you. Time to talk gambling with Joel Staniszewski from Sloan, from Buff State, and coming to us on the line from Vegas, as he always does during the Bills season, to talk about the Bills from a betting standpoint. Uh, Joel, uh, before we talk Bills and 49ers, or Bills at all, you gave us a bonus pick last week. You said to take Denver and the six points, Um, that was before catastrophe befell the Broncos. I took that bet off the board for you. So I'm not going to give you a loss, but you actually have real money on that, on that game. What happens in those situations when something like that happens? Uh, and, but you've already placed a bet or any better in Las Vegas has a slip from a game in which the, Disaster just uh, changes the entire picture.
3: Yeah, you're you're pretty much uh, screwed. There's nothing you're really going to get out of it. Um, this it kind of it goes back a little bit to like baseball betting. So if you're betting baseball, you have the opportunity to list the pitcher. Um, that means both pitchers have to go, or yeah. the one that you've selected in order for your bet to be live. If that pitcher doesn't go, you get your money back. Um, If you bet that money line of a game and the pitcher changes, which changes the line, you get the updated line regardless of what you bet. So if I just bet the Yankees and they were a $2 favorite and then they put in a different pitcher, now they're a $2 dog, I get the $2 dog price now, even if I didn't bet it at that. Um, When you're dealing with, that's pretty much the only sport that you can get a moved line or a bet canceled. If the, if a main player, the pitcher is not, is not going. When you're dealing with the NFL, you get the line that you bet. And sometimes the best of it, you get a, you know, had you bet the saints minus six, and then the line moves because Denver has no players on the team, then you still get that minus six. I liked the plus six. Um, and I actually thought Denver could win that game outright. Uh, and then as you mentioned, they have zero quarterbacks. They have no passing game at all. And, uh, the line, the first line that I saw went up to 14 immediately after that. And I don't know where it closed at. It probably even went up from there. Um, and, and you'll get, some sports books, usually like small offshore books or, or books in like the UK, that will try to get themselves some publicity by refunding bets um, because of a bad call, uh, because of a boxing match that was clearly one-sided, that the, the the decision goes in the other direction. Even sometimes football games. It's possible that there are some small offshore books or overseas books like Paddy Paddy Power that maybe. Refunded those bets, um, but your majority of your large bookmakers, especially in Nevada, um, if you bet the bad side of a number after it moves, it's that's that's just bad luck. Could no you money for you?
0: The NFL, especially with COVID being an issue, maybe not in normal times, but um, could sports books go to a baseball type format where if the quarterback changes, that you have those caveats like you would in baseball?
3: think so um you see i mean you see so many injuries with the nfl i mean even let's go back to the beginning of the season with with Tyrod taylor and his punctured lung you that line moved for that game and you wouldn't have known until you know minutes before kickoff that he wasn't playing um so i don't think that's really a, a possibility um you might get some some book like again like a small book or some new bookmaker in town or some new casino that's got an independent book then they sometimes will run promotions you know reduce reduced juice on certain days no juice on certain bets uh that type of stuff but i, I think for the most part you're you're big bookmakers when it comes to nfl and, and even nba um you know you find out 10 minutes before game time that Kawhi Leonard is taking a rest day or LeBron James isn't going to play or, and you know, there's been, I know people had tried to file like lawsuits and stuff about class action lawsuits about how they bought tickets to see LeBron James and he doesn't play because he's having a rest day and there's not really anything you can do about it. And I know that the NBA is trying to crack down on like rest days and, and especially when it's like a primetime game but when it comes to, the you know, it's just, this is a number that you get, and if you get the best of it, good for you. If you get the worst of it, sorry. Try again.
1: Did you have an opportunity to get a a refund on a different line? I know sometimes when you do the live uh, betting on DraftKings, it'll um, refund you seventy five percent if your team falls behind early or whatever. You can cash it in, I guess. On a, a
3: certain... I did. Mean, I saw that. I saw that DraftKings, and I think. Um, what is it, Barstool Sports now has a, a book, an uh, uh, online book, and you can bet it in Pennsylvania. I think they also have a similar type thing where you can kind of sell your bet back for a percentage. Uh, and, and that's great for them. I, I mean, they're the whole point of sports betting is you're hoping that you're going to get, you know, same amount of bets on this side as the spread as you are on this side of the spread, and everyone's laying 10%. So this guy wins, this guy doesn't, you just made your profit for the game. Um, so you're trying to get, that's always the thing. So if you can if you can offer someone to buy their, to sell their bets back to you at 25%, why wouldn't you do that? Every book should, should want to do that. Um, up to a certain extent. I mean, you don't want to bet, you know, take a bet on the Denver Broncos money line at plus $2 and then all of a sudden they're a 15 point underdog. You don't really want to buy that one back. Um, but you, you know, you, you, you can, you can do that, especially within running it and offer that, to sell your bets back and buy it at a percentage. And then you just, again, you're making free money. If, if the casinos could guarantee to get a certain hold percentage, of course they'll do it. They want that guaranteed money. Uh, you know, your average sports book on a good year, gets what, seven, eight, nine percent percentage hold. And the, and the bigger ones don't even want that much of a percentage hold. They just want pennies on the dollar because they're taking a billion dollars in bets on the year. So you're taking a billion dollars in bets and you're only making one or 2% percentage hold. You're still making tons of money. Um, so that's, that's the point. I mean, and that's why always sports books are the tiny thing usually in the corner of your casino because your tables and your slot machines are holding, you know, 10, 15, 20% percentage holds. So if I'm only getting four or five six percent on the sports book, you're not you know you're the small fry in the sports book, just like horse racing. Horse racing is a contract, Um, so your casinos get to hold like 19 percent of the money that they take and give through the pools for the racetracks. You don't get a whole lot of race betting, but it's just free money. So that's why when you're uh, people, all people have always asked when I worked in the sports book, why do they get give out great comps? For race betting and why do they give up free drink tickets for race betting but they don't for sports well because race they hold 19 percent and sports they're holding you know single digits on a in a good year maybe they're maybe they're getting to 10 percent so that's why uh you know that's why those sports and those comp systems are set up the way that they are
0: they always say uh, never take insurance when you're playing blackjack and the dealer is showing an ace Uh, and because it is giving back money to the house, uh, same theory then for these refund bets, or when would you consider as, as a player, uh, refunding your bet or getting out of your bet? Um, obviously having no quarterback is a very unusual thing, but these bets are offered as a refund all the time. Uh, Is there, is it the same as blackjack and insurance? Then you should never take it or, or what?
3: I, I would never. I would always just keep my bets and take my losses and take my wins. Because if I start selling off losses and giving up 25%, then I'm going to be doing the exact same thing in the future when I think I have a guaranteed winner and I can I can cash out early for a lesser percentage, then I would start doing that. I don't want to do that. I want to just play my bets, and as long as you're over 52.5%, per on your year for every bet that you make, then you've made profit. So that's all you got to do. I think just keep at it, keep the consistency. Uh, you know, don't be chasing money. Don't be doing betting outside of your normal uh, routine. You bet your normal routine. You you pick, you know, however many of the top three games that you like, you play them for the same dollar amount and you just keep going. And eventually you'll, you as long as you're picking right, you you'll make a profit.
1: Yeah. It doesn't help when you, Buy the bet back or or sell the bet back at 75%. And then you take that money and you throw it into another loser, then it's uh then the casinos right. re- then the casinos really just made yeah. twice the money on you. Right.
0: Well, the CTBK Sportsbook uh refunded your Broncos bet last week before the game. So that doesn't count against your record. Joel Staniszewski went uh One and two last week, a rare losing week for Joel, but he had the Bills and the over. And so the Bills win, the over doesn't hit. uh, And uh, he also said to take Cleveland and give seven points to Jacksonville, which didn't pan out. So one and two last week, uh, but the season record, 16, 10, and three, that magical 52.5% is... uh, uh, in your dust right now at 16, 10 and three Uh, you're very profitable this season. And um, what do you think for the bills this week? They opened, I think at two and a half point favorites, it's down to one uh, with uh, the, the 49ers not really playing at home and they've picked up a couple of points. Uh, What are your thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, really, really weird game. Um, We're having weird games all year, you know, with days moving around, players being uh, on on COVID lists, players coming off COVID lists. uh, You know, uh, no home field advantage, really, when it comes to the fans. Um, You're getting home field advantage when it comes to traveling uh, and going into different time zones and staying in, in hotels. So you're getting a little bit of that still at home field advantage, but you're not getting that noise and that crowd and that place going nuts like you do in Seattle and, and Buffalo in the wintertime and, you know, uh, New Orleans, these, these, these things that come to mind off the top of your head, when you're talking about home field advantage and it comes to the crowd, um, you're not getting that. So you have to take that in, into account when you're putting on lineup you still factor all those things in, but the actual playing of the game is different. You're not getting hyped up from the crowd. You're not trying to, um, you know, hear the, hear the coaches calling in the plays with people screaming, you know, 80,000 people in the crowd screaming. So you're, you're not dealing with that. Um, but what's weird is that both teams now are on a, on a, a road game. So San Francisco to Arizona, the, a short flight, you know, whatever it would take to fly there an hour and a half maybe. Um, but it's still that same whole process. You got to pack your luggage You have to, you know, board the plane. You got to put your tray tables up. You got to put your seat back up. You got to buckle in, you know, and you still have that whole process. I mean, flying a plane, you know, even a short flight, an hour long flight still takes four hours when you check in, you get there, you get your luggage, you get to your gate, you get to your seat, you get buckled in. I don't know what the process is for NFL players. If there's a different, if they fly out of a different area or they don't have to, you know, go through the jetway Like we all do. I don't know what the rules yeah, they, is they for have a for... private
0: terminal they go into and there's some charter buses waiting for them, but, but still it's a process. Then you got to drive however far to your hotel and, and go through yeah. all the protocols that you have to for COVID with the testing. And now you're away from home and practicing there all week and
1: can have a galvanizing yeah, so- effect, though.
3: Yeah, it's definitely different. So you're not, you're not in your comfort zone. Um, The bills are flying less miles, you know, it's, it's going from a five and a half hour flight to a four and a half hour flight or whatever it would be something in that ballpark. So you're saving time in the air, which is affects a a player. I mean, most people, whether you're a professional athlete or not, after you fly four or five hours, like you're tired, you're just exhausted, you're, jet lag, whether these, any of these players have motion sickness. I mean, there's a lot of different factors that you take into account that the average person deals with um, when you're flying on a, on a plane. So it's the same thing for, for professional athletes, just because they're huge, muscular, you know, manly men doesn't mean they don't still get motion sickness or have anxiety about flying. Like all these things still exist for them. They're still, you know, just human people. Um, so it definitely changes everything, not to mention that it's going from into a dome. So you're dealing with no wind, uh, no temperature change. No. I mean, in, in Vegas, I know it's a big thing here. When the sun is out, it's hot. Even when it's only 50 degrees, 60 degrees outside, it's warm. That sun is warm on your body. The second that sun sets, it's freezing cold. So it's the same kind of thing in San Francisco. It's, it's going to be cold after the sun sets. And they don't have to deal with that at all. So now they're in a dome. There's no wind. There's no weather. There's no you know temperature change because the sun just set. So it changes. I think everything with this game, and it it can change everything to this game.
0: And the game is so going to play later. The game now is right nine right, fifteen kickoff, uh, which is a lot more tolerable for somebody calibrated to the Pacific time zone than the than the Eastern time uh uh Eastern time zone like Buffalo. So you're playing at nine o'clock. Your body thinks it's nine o'clock uh, and it's six yeah. o'clock local and, and San Francisco should be a little more adaptable to that. Yeah. Or is that a 615? Oh, no, wait a minute. It's in Phoenix now. And that always throws me off.
3: Cause they, they don't do Eastern. They don't do um, time zone change. So, when so, is still, it? so is
0: it nine o'clock Eastern or is it eight o'clock Eastern?
3: I think it's still eight o'clock. It's just six o'clock there because they don't fall back like, yeah, like
1: 8, everyone 15. else does. They just want okay. to be difficult. Yeah, I'm glad I was going to say that, that was, was going to be, be that was going to be news to me. I was like, man, this deadline is going to be even worse.
3: It's weird because Arizona doesn't follow daylight savings time. It's actually a quick little quick little side story. When I worked for a, a casino company here, we had a property in Laughlin, which is right on the Nevada, Arizona border. And all the directors lived in Arizona, but worked in Nevada. So half of the time of the year, they were always an hour behind from where they live to where they work. So like half of their clocks in their house are on Nevada time and the other half are on Arizona time just to keep up because you're losing or gaining an hour depending upon which, which way you're going across the border. It's just crazy.
0: Yeah, that you, and, and right on the middle of the room, messing us up. Say you are now entering, you know, Arizona, and they'd had, they'd tell you if it was what time it was, or if it was the same yeah. or different. Uh, okay, so what do you think on this then? Uh, the, we just went through all the reasons why the line is yeah. <laughs> crazy and uh, all the things you can think about. What about the bills? And they're getting uh, only a point.
3: Yeah, um, I'm tr- my, I, we've gone through this in the past. When my numbers say something that I don't personally like, I, I try to find reasons to go against the numbers. The numbers are telling me to play in San Francisco uh, plus the one point. Uh, but I'm trying to find ways to talk myself out of it. I went through the top uh, five sites when it comes to power rankings, and when you average them all together, the Bills are 10 spots better in the power rankings um, when, when you just rank the team. Uh, the Bills are at least three to four spots closer to them when you talk about um, the ELO um, win percentages. Uh, they have the, pretty much the exact same strength of schedule throughout the, throughout the entire season. What's ELO, um, I don't know that whatever that whatever Nate Silver whatever that smart guy is who does all those crazy polls and <laughs> gives you all those percentages and yes. crazy stuff yeah I, uh, to be completely honest I don't even know what ELO stands for but uh, I when Not I read electric, it and light, I, o- light orchestra I wish it did that's a good good stuff um, and and it, it gives you uh, team rankings it gives you uh, percentage of team win win probability. Uh, and you take that and you, you look at line movements, you look at, uh, power rankings, you look at strength of schedule, you look at how the teams do recently, how the two teams do against the spread, how the teams do, uh, historically against the other team injuries, uh, you know, who's in, who's out. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's telling me, the numbers are telling me to take San Francisco plus the one, but I, I just don't want to. So, uh, I'm going to say take San Francisco plus you can get one and a half. Take the one and a half plus San Francisco plus one and a half. And we're going to go over 47 and a half. And the reason why I would say over is because of that dome. Uh, If they were playing in San Francisco, I'd probably lean towards the under. And I don't know how much the number would actually change. Probably not much at all. Um, but I think that whether the being in the dome, I think it's a, uh, it's an a, on pace for like an over type game.
0: All right. Does it matter that the bills have played in the stadium?
3: Just don't give up a hail Mary. That's, that's all they seem to do in that stadium. And recently hail marys. Yeah, sure you go up there and grab it. I don't know why the, how they don't practice this or how they don't realize that they have to put a taller person back there. Um, I mean, historically, when you see teams that have really big, strong receivers, you see them out there on that Hail Mary play, you know, whether that's Gabriel Davis or, or somebody else, like you got to put somebody taller out there because when you see these receivers jumping over our defensive backs to get these Hail Marys, now like, granted the one against um, LA last week didn't really matter, but again, it's still, you're supposed to learn from your mistakes, losing a game, with a Hail Mary, you shouldn't do that again. And we didn't lose the game, and it didn't affect the score, but you should have been able to defend that. You should have, that should have been something that you really worked on since then, and they might have, but still didn't work.
0: Jordan Poyer went for the interception. One, one game do after Tredavious White went for the interception. Both hands do right up Knock there. Down. Thumb and the finger right together. That's not batting it down. He was going for the interception
1: it's like the instinct they have. They probably coach them how often for every other play to do that. Go for the pick, get the turnover, make the big play. And then they're trying to turn their brain off for the last play to bat it down. Clearly it's uh something's not clicking.
3: Like trying to tell a running back to not run in the end zone when they have a touchdown on the board and just take a knee at the 1-yard line. It's it's hard to do. You're you're just doing this thing that you've been doing for decades, you know. These players Granted, they're only 25 to 28 years old. You've been playing for probably 20 years, and you've been really good for that same period of time. Like you, I'm sure that you know Jordan Poyer was an absolute star in Pop Warner football and and high school football and college football. That's why he's in the NFL. So he's been doing this exact same thing for decades, and now you're trying to tell him on one play to don't do what you've always done. It's hard, but you better figure it out before we uh, lose in a playoff game with a hail mary or something. So um, again, talking up to a learning. The you go, go over, but if the Chargers score, you don't cover.
0: That's true,
1: unless Anthony Lynn yeah, sent thought, out the field goal. I thought
3: about that. <laughs> yeah, that
0: uh,
1: that wouldn't have done it though, right? That wouldn't have got quite gotten to the, the over.
3: field goal would have been perfect. I don't know if it would have gone over with the field goal, but no, the touchdown would, would have put would have it have over.
0: The the total was 53. That would have got you to 50.
3: Okay. So, yeah, touchdown would have gotten you over, but not the spread. That's true. I was happy with the Bills covering the spread uh, and winning by 10. It just probably gives them a little bit more momentum going into the next game that they stopped them on the one-yard line with the last play of the game. Like, that's a great way to finish a game, you know, I think. So, I think that's good. Uh, I, I still personally like the Bills. I think they can win. Uh but like I said, when you when I when I go against the numbers, I usually go wrong. So I'm gonna go with the numbers. I'm gonna say San Francisco and hope that I lose that bet. Uh but I said I'll also be over. Got a couple bonus plays yep. for this week. We're gonna go with the uh Chicago Bears minus three, hosting the Detroit Lions. All right. The uh so Pittsburgh Steelers are minus seven and a half. Some books you can still buy a half a point on a key number. So I'm going to do that. So put that as a little asterisk on your notepad. Seven Six and a half? Steelers, minus seven and a half. But we're going to buy the half point for an extra 10 or 20 cents, whatever Tim Grant and friend sports book gives me. Mm-hmm. Taking that.
0: I'll check with CTBK on this.
3: Yeah, CTBK sports book. Your, ask your director how much I can get down on buying a half a point to a seven. And uh, Green Bay minus eight and a half. They Three are, bonus uh, picks. Yeah, Green Bay is hosting Philadelphia, who is just a, just a dumpster fire right now. But I don't want to say anything bad because I did it again. I did it against Jacksonville. I told I said who we were talking about Jacksonville's long neck quarterback. What's his name?
1: <laughs> Mike Glennon. Glennon, and then he goes
3: out and just has a.
1: All star game
3: puppets. on the, yeah, Cleveland. You know, I've honestly there's been times where I've told myself whether it's the Indians, the Cavs, the Browns, stop betting on Cleveland teams. All they do is 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 not cover the spread and piss me off. So make a make another little note in there, little asterisk. CTBK sportsbook will not allow me to bet Cleveland ever again.
0: You know, I'm Noted. looking at these numbers for Washington and Pittsburgh, and it's. Uh... Yeah, I can see – yeah, you have it at seven and a half at the Westgate and also at Circus Sports. Yeah, so I guess you can still – but it's a widespread. So sportsbetting.com has it at 10, and William Hill is at eight. So that, that number is all over the place.
1: Yeah. So you're getting yeah. it down to all seven is way. what you're saying, Joel.
0: I'm buying it down to seven, yep. Okay. Um, so let me read these off again. Uh, Joel Stanishevsky On the line from Vegas says, take Pittsburgh and uh, give seven points against Washington. Take Green Bay, give eight and a half points against Philadelphia. Take the Bears, give three points against Detroit. And through gritted teeth, take uh, San Francisco and the point and a half and also go over the 47 and a half uh, versus the Bills in Glendale, Arizona. So that's a full plate, Joel. It seems like the deeper we get in the year, the uh, the more you, st- you stray from the from your Bills-centric analysis. You're, you're feeling it. Yeah. He's a hungry boy. Yeah.
1: All these wins. Uh,
0: exactly.
1: <laughs> How often have you gone against the Bills this year?
3: Uh, I have not bet against them this year at all. I've bet on them a couple times. I've given the picks to you what I think. But I've yet to bet against them. Um I might just not not this week. I, I think that the Bills can win. I hope that they can win if they play. Uh, if they can stop I mean, if you look at if you look at quarterback comparisons, you know, Nick Mullins to, to compare to Josh Allen, he's head and shoulders above. Um, we did not do well blocking one Bosa. I don't know if the other one's even playing.
1: He's um, not. He's out for the year.
3: Okay, good. Luckily. I like
1: that. Good. Um, practically uh, their whole team's that up I for the year. seems like, yeah, not
3: that I want, yeah, not that I want people to be injured and hurt with the exception of Tom Brady. But, um, yeah, I, I think the bills should win. And again, I'm giving you that bet based upon the numbers. Uh, my heart says take the bills, you know, but my, my, my pocketbook says, uh, San Francisco plus one and a half.
0: You carry around a pocketbook. Do you?
3: Pocketbook. It just sounds good. Right. Yeah. I, I keep my charge cards in my pocketbook.
0: <laughs> in your fanny pack. That's where I, I always bet with my I, fanny pack.
3: I do actually have a fanny pack. I love it. It's great. I keep everything in there. Put it over my shoulder. It looks cool. All the cool kids are doing it.
0: Every punk rocker needs a fanny pack. You're not, you're not, <laughs> I, a I, got so fanny pack. I got so much stuff in
3: there. So much stuff in there, you know,
0: <laughs> Hey, Joel, thanks uh, for the picks as always. And yeah. uh, we'll see how you do. I, hopefully I don't have to talk with the CTBK uh, bookie about uh, rescinding any of these wagers, but I think that you're such a good client uh, and you are a great F of TGAF that if anything weird comes up, I'll make sure that uh, we get it taken off the board.
3: Sounds good. I appreciate that. I'll give you a nice tip to the director. On the table, of course, though, because you're not supposed to do that. Directors aren't supposed (laughs) to be taking tips.
0: Nope, you shouldn't have said that on. Uh, you're supposed
3: to say that off the record. Yeah, of course. Meet, meet me. Uh, meet me over there where the cameras don't see you. Right, right by the men's room.
1: Over near the water in the basement.
3: I've had I've had a couple men's room tips in my days, and that might sound like a weird statement to make, but I've had a couple of players that say, uh, "Hey, meet me in the bathroom," and I'm like, "This is a little weird, but okay." And then, boom, thousand dollars in my pocket. Bring your pocket. Okay, I'll take that. Hey, right in the pot, right in the fanny pack. Boom, <laughs> bucks, thousand bucks. No one's saying anything. Ah. Take your name tag off so the camera doesn't see you as you walk into the bathroom.
0: <laughs> hey Joe, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.
3: All right, take care, guys.
0: And now we're joined by Gerald Dixon, former Bill Scout. And uh, he has been joining Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK for several weeks now. And we can't do a show without him, apparently, uh, because he's that good. So we bring him back uh, for another round. And this is the week 13 edition of Gerald Dixon talking with us about, well, who knows what we're going to talk about. I think that uh, we were just talking uh, before I hit the record button. And uh, any, any and all topics seem to be on the table. Um, we should have been recording 20 minutes ago, but then again, we might not have been speaking as freely if we knew we were on the record. Anyway, uh, Gerald, thanks for uh, joining me and
4: Matt. Oh man. Appreciate having me back fellas.
0: Right. So the bills coming off a win over the chargers, uh, you know, the chargers seem to be falling apart a little bit and the bills took advantage. It's what you're supposed to do. And now going up against a 49ers team that has been uh, displaced from its home, the game is going to be held in Glendale, Arizona, which adds all kind of wrinkles, I think, to this game, uh, variables, I think. Um, I don't know. I, generally, I like to start off every week uh, with you with this question, Gerald. What's your, what's your thoughts on the Bills, just your general take on the state of the team uh, after they move to 8-3 and three, and then with the 49ers up next?
4: Right, 8-3, great record, right? So, I mean, when you look at it, you say you, you, you did what you had to do against the Chargers. It wasn't pretty. You want to come out of that game with the double, which you did. But the mistakes, especially by the quarterback, you kind of scratch your head, head on because those are the same mistakes that you're seeing over his career. So are those mistakes what he is or what he's trying to get over? Uh, and the case of – Sam- What in
0: particular? Let, let, let's maybe we'll, – we'll take them step by step here. What uh, what specifically um, jumped out at you?
4: Well, the turnovers, right? So when you look at it, and, and, and just the turnovers and the times that you do have those turnovers. like You're up 17. Um, just got a turnover from, from tredavius made a great play. Now it's time to put the team away. So in your mind, you're saying, okay – I'm I'm getting my team three points for touchdown, nothing else. So that's your mindset. So aggressive, yes, you have to be, but you also have to be cautious with that football because the most important thing in the whole entire building is that football. So to chuck it to the cornerback, which you spun the ball in front of after you scored your first touchdown, to give it right back to him, to me, that's a couple of decisions that you can't make. And those are the couple of issues that you can have moving forward if you're considering yourself to be a, a playoff-caliber team to go deep into the playoff. Um, Quarterback-center exchange. Regardless of whose fault it is, you're going in to score again. You get on that ball, and you play the next down. Um, almost had a turnover in the red zone again. But, you know, they called the incomplete pass. When he got spun around, and almost got hurt. That was actually a run, right? So at some point in your head, you got to say, you know what? Even though I can run the ball, I'm going to give this ball to the, the running back and read it properly. Unless that defensive end comes screaming down the edge, that's the only time that you should truly pull it in his own read um, concept.
0: So, How many times can we remember, uh, at least twice, maybe it was even more than that, where he threw the ball away to avoid a sack. And when Brett Favre does it and he completes the pass, or Patrick Mahomes, or even Josh Allen, he's done it here or there. It's a fun play, and everybody goes nuts. And, uh, or at least the broadcasters do, there are no fans really to go nuts, but I bet you the sideline goes bonkers. Um, But just a hair or getting spun or the, the defender having uh, his hand on your sleeve or whatever it is. And that thing's picked off Uh, or it's a fumble because it, it, it doesn't go forward or like we saw with the Joey Bosa play, he was just trying to get rid of it. And it came a hair away from being considered a fumble. It was ruled a fumble on the field. Um, yeah, yep. that's uh, he. He seems yep. to be getting, he seems yep. to be getting reckless. Even when it doesn't bear out to be a turnover, you're holding your breath.
4: Right, and, and and like I said, two years ago, you can say, yeah, you know what, young guy, but you've played enough snaps. You understand the importance of your play to the team. You understand that if you don't play and you can't get it back out there because you got spun around and your leg gets caught in the ground, yeah, that team goes now to Matt Barkley. Right good backup but not the same player so now you go from a budding team that's going to the playoff making a deep run to looking forward to next year so it's just calculated decision that you gotta have um at that position that that i i I get troubled and worried about um when he does some of the careless acts and then after the game he says the same thing at some point even like the guy in philadelphia you gotta say okay good I like the way the song is going, but I typically know how it ends. You're telling me that you're sorry, sorry, sorry. You're not going to do it again, but seems like this record stays on repeat.
0: That's one thing. And Matt, I, I'm, I'm having trouble. Who's the Sabres player that kind of got ran out of town? He was a captain, wasn't he, maybe? Not, uh, you know. Ryan maybe. O'Reilly. Was it Ryan O'Reilly or was it somebody who just after every game kept saying, Yeah, he's blaming himself. It. We- we got to be better as a team. I got to be better. And people, and after people were like, would you shut up and just fix it? Well, the Sabres were losing at that time. The bills are winning. So, and everybody loves Josh Allen. Of course, every the, the fans can't do enough to ingratiate themselves to Josh Allen uh, under any circumstance, both on the field or off the field. They just want Josh Allen to love us so badly that, um, yeah, it seems like people don't notice that he is saying the same things after every game. I can't do that. I can't put our team in that situation. I take the blame, which sounds nice. But, yeah, it becomes it's, – it's, it's gotten old already.
4: And he is a guy now. He, he is the quarterback moving forward. Put that to, to rest. Now it's taking the next, next step of, okay, taking care of your team and your players. Like it's, it's on you. We all understand that it's it's on you. Defense gets the ball back to you. Take care of it. Either punt it, and the punter was having an excellent day of bombing the ball. Right at worst, just punt it and get put the defense back on the field that was doing an incredible job on. on what on
0: did it. you like, Gerald? You know they're eight and three, and here we are ragging on the quarterback a little bit. But no, uh,
4: see, I think that's very good. I'm not ragging, right? It, because when you, when you get to a, a place, well, of –
0: all right, let me take that word back. I was saying it kind of facetiously, like we're all doing it here. Yeah, he's, he's having a great season.
4: Right, no general.
0: doubt about it. But, uh, but the thing that we decided to talk about was, would be perceived by fans listening to this as negative and maybe uh, nitpicking. But right. if you want to be great, you're supposed to be able – you got to nitpick.
4: There you go. And, and, and that's one of my – it, that's just who I am. I'm trying to be as close as I can to perfect as possible. And if you're trying to get to Super Bowls, uh, right, or, or playoffs or whatever, you're trying, you're trying to get rid of all the negative plays. You can't hurt yourself trying to win games, right? Because, other, I mean, the NFL is too good. Just like you see week in and week out, there's double-digit leads, and somehow, some way, the other team finds their way back into it. And it's not because the defense can't stop um, teams, right? Because the offense is going to get another possession, too. It's turnovers usually, right, in, in inside of their red zone or just mindless plays at the most inopportune time that gives a team momentum. And then they go down and they score. And before you know it, it's a three-point game and you're worrying about another Hail Mary again instead of just taking care of the ball, uh, putting the ball in the playmaker's hands, and just getting through the game and just play a clean game. You don't have to be the MVP every single week. You just have to be consistently playing well.
0: I guess before we move on to uh, the things that you're most impressed by, Gerald, I'll I'll, uh, bring up a point that I made on Monday's podcast uh, with Tyler Dunn, and we didn't really get into it too much, but Matt and I have, uh, or at least I've shared this observation with Matt, and I want to see if you've noticed it. Um, There seems to be a point in some games where Josh Allen starts laughing when he's on the field because he's having so much fun, and I think it's almost as though it seems to me like he's, he's starting to think, look how easy this is. Look how much fun we're having. And then I can predict, and I did. I sent Matt a text. I said, he's laughing. Here, here it comes. Here comes some disaster. Now he ends up running for a touchdown, but he nearly threw an interception, uh, either a play or two before, right. and he ends up spinning the ball because he's feeling a little too much. And, yeah, we saw the mic'd up segment, and McDermott says, yeah, I love it, and oh, whatever. But I've noticed it in games before. When he starts, like, oh, man, like, he almost threw an interception against the Jets, um, overthrew Stephon Diggs, I think, in the opener. And he's laughing, like, ah, I can't believe I missed you, man. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. And then two plays later, fumbles. And the Jets are getting it going the other way. There seems to be a, a different demeanor that he has when he's really on. He's serious, and he seems locked in, as Matt used the phrase. But there are times he gets a little loose when, when the game seems to be in control where he, I don't know, he, he's, maybe he's thinking it's too easy. I don't want to put thoughts into his head, but when I see him laughing like that and being carefree, it seems like there's a there's a, a mistake right around the corner.
4: Right. Well, most competitors, it, I mean, when you look at it, it's, it's a respect factor, right? You, you respect the game all the way through until that clock says double zero and the ball's taken out of your hands. And the game's over um, at no point. I understand the, the, the fact of having fun, but some people could perceive that as being disrespectful and then not being locked in totally in terms of your mental state of mind. Right. At some point, I get the laughter. I'm um, having fun, but still there's a task at hand of taking care of the football. And
0: I want to say this is while on the field. This isn't right. on the sideline, like after a touchdown. This is in the huddle after a play, standing there, and the the, the camera gives the close up shot of Josh Allen as Dable's calling it. Maybe Dable's cracking a joke in his ear. I don't know, but he's just like laughing, Indeed. like he's just laughing with his butt. He's like, "Yeah, you're going co- now. Now get a load of this next play, Jets or whatever." I don't know what the mentality is, but he's just laughing.
4: Right. I mean, th- I mean, there's different. Co- you see, Aaron Rodgers, he has that smirk, but. Typically, after that smirk, he's he's going for somebody's throat. So I don't know if those are the same um, mannerisms. I don't think I've
0: ever. I don't know how many times I've seen Tom Brady laughing while he's in in the huddle around the field. Yeah, he's the opposite. Of those no, yeah, I'm, he's locked in.
1: Most that doesn't always work for him either, but it's worked more often than not.
0: Although Brett Favre laughed a lot on the field. Hell, he'd laugh after he got sacked. Like he'd get up and he he he'd pat the guy in the
4: ass and tell him, "Good job, you know, thanks for ringing my bell." But Quick question, though, Tim. Who's the all-time leader in inception in the NFL history? It, it's Brett Favre. Yeah, the guy that's giggling.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> He's having a grand old time with it.
4: <laughs> now, he changed a bunch of people's lives because he's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. But, hey, see the guy that's locked in and the guy that wants to throw jokes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all right. I didn't see Peyton um, chuckling a bunch.
1: What do we? What do we and
4: think? He's got
0: a great sense. Of, he's a funny guy.
4: Very.
1: That we found that out after the fact, right? I mean, what do we think? Uh, this, I think this is what's interesting about what happened on Sunday, and it's a Josh Allen thing more than anything. He gets hurt in what looked like a really ugly injury, and everybody was scared out of their minds for a second. Right. And he comes right back in because that's who he is. He's going to come back in, like. Right. He's not going to be kept off the field. Same thing happened in Vegas. I don't think he missed a single play with an injury that probably could have knocked him out of the game, that shoulder injury that seemed to impact him for a few weeks. So now he has this. Finally, we get the designation today because you can ask him all you want about it. You can ask Sean all you want about it. Um, Josh isn't going to say anything. But finally today, the designation is knee slash ankle. Full participant in practice, right? He's not going to be kept off the field. But how much do we think this is going to affect him? Because he's well, I, he's going to play that. There's no question about that. He's not going to miss time. Um, clearly it's not severe enough that he's going to miss the season. You know, no ligaments, uh, appear to have been torn here, but he likes to move around. And when he popped that cleat off, I wonder how much it swelled up, uh, because he was running around in the second half. But, um, the fact that he's on the injury report, what, I mean, do we, do we think that's going to be a factor here?
4: Man, listen, Josh is tough as hell. <laughs> I mean, you, you're going to have to take him off with, with his legs completely severed before he gets off the field. That's just the,
0: the Black there. Knight and uh, Monty <laughs> in the Holy Grail.
4: Yeah, he, I mean, he. in, in some point, in, like your your blessings are curse, right? So his toughness is willing to to like bleed out every single play. At some point, you got to say, you know what? This is when. This is when I throw the ball away. This is when I'm not going to take this hit. And this is when I'm not going to put this ball in danger. It's enough. We're up by 17. We can punt it and play again. We don't, that's not the time. And when he understands that, I think you'll see him take that next step. Does he ever get to that? That's up to him.
1: It's interesting. It's like, he's so tough that it could be a problem. You know, that's a he, curse. It, maybe he'd be better off. I don't know what he's dealing with. He's probably will never, he's probably not telling anybody what he's dealing with, but, for all we know, he could be better off giving it a week, but he never would. And so I'm curious to see how it'll impact him on Monday night. He's a guy that likes to move around. And, and I bet you the, gonna bill, be and the Bills
0: never would either because him limited is still so much better than Matt Barkley at 100%. Right. Sure. So even to give him an extra week off, they're probably thinking you're just going to have to heal Monday through Saturday, buddy. Or uh, Tuesday till Sunday when you're playing on Monday night you're just gonna have to heal during those days and but come game time you're out there
1: maybe he'll do some do him some good he'll you know maybe not take off as much or you know he'll be a little more mindful of it because he is in some pain and fighting through some stuff who knows
4: hey, fellas those hits start adding up at, at some point um, you only can take them for so long look at cam look at Ben all the guys that were guys that stood there and took hits and perceived tough guys after a while. As you get older, those hits start adding up. And as long, when you keep going down the season, the little lingering, little knick-knack injuries become more serious. And at some point, being a franchise guy, and when you become that franchise guy, you have to take care of yourself and that football. Because without you, the franchise is not going anywhere. So,
1: I mean, so- look what happened to Carson Wentz after he tore his ACL. He's gone downhill. RG3 after he tore his ACL. Um, and this is, you know – Just to say that Josh Allen's lucky that didn't happen to him on Sunday, but the way he's playing and the way he takes hits, the awkward nature in which he takes hits uh, is inviting disaster um, in some ways. And um, he's done a good job of avoiding it. But to your point, you can only do that for so long. You can only take so many hits. And eventually, you've got to be a guy, right, that can um, not rely on that not use it as a crutch so much to be running around and uh, you know just make the play that's in front of you because take more of these hits you won't be quite as explosive as you were
4: just respecting the game respecting your opponent that you're playing against at any point that it could be taken away from you so you try your best not to put yourself in that situation and and again the older you get the more respect you gain for the game but when you're young big strong fast um feel like you can conquer the world Sometimes you you take those chances, and typically you see young people make young mistakes. So
0: what are you most excited about when you watch the Bills, and especially over the last couple of weeks? What, what do you like?
4: You know what? Here goes a, a most, one of the most underrated players on the Bills I don't think people pay attention to, Gabe Davis. Um, he's probably the best blocker out of including the tight ends. I mean, he get he they put him in some situations where he's blocking the defensive end, the strong side linebackers, and he does a heck of a job. Even in pass protection, at some point you see him. How right?
0: unusual is that for a rookie receiver to be that good of a blocker? You know, Robert Woods, they talked about how good of a blocker he
4: was right away. Right. But And for Woods, it's just because of just his mentality and his temperament to the game. He's just tough as hell. He don't even no matter how big you are, whatever Rob's going, Rob's going to mix it up with you. And I and I see some of that in um mm-hmm. in Gabe. And then when you give him an opportunity to go up for the ball, you see him big boy some guys. I really like him. I'm I, to see him play every Sunday. I like to see more of him. And then just Steph Diggs is how easy he makes the game look. And for for Josh, I think that that one two combination is looks pretty good. The most disappointing thing on Sunday was. Um, the offensive line, especially Deion Dawkins protecting against um Bosa, but Bosa's a different animal.
0: Were most of those Dawkins or Willie Darrell Williams didn't lo- had had Bosa a couple of times too, right? He went up
4: and down the line, whoever wanted it. Yeah. If it was <laughs> I'm talking about the sacks
0: in particular.
1: Dawkins had uh two penalties.
4: Two penalties, but he got a sack on Deion. He came over top of um Winters, got one there too. And he went over there in Daryl and got some taste of that, too. I mean, he just went up and down and just – it was Thanksgiving weekend, man. He he ate everybody. <laughs> I feel like he <laughs> almost had
1: – it's like a, if Dion Dawkins is good enough where he's only getting embarrassed by, like, the Joey Bosa's, he's still worth the contract because that's fine. Oh, yeah, fun. no. no because, like, Joey Bosa is just – now, what? he's handled that most everybody else. So I was thinking about that this week because I was like, man, that really wasn't – a good game from Dion, but I'm like, it's really hard for me to crush Dion because right. if you can handle everybody besides Joey Bosa, you're still pretty right. damn good.
4: And I'm and I'm nitpicking, right? But on defense, uh, I can go the other way too and say, there's a couple of opportunities I thought that Tre'Davious should have stepped up and stopped those third and like seven or six plus against Guyton. When you when you're the number one corner and you're going against a third receiver, number three receiver on the other team, yeah, that that don't happen. I mean, he comes back and gets a pick, but you'd like to see him step up and and eliminate that catch from all.
0: Speaking of defensive back play, one game after Tredavious White goes for the interception on DeAndre Hopkins, and it doesn't work. Jordan Poyer goes for the interception late in the game. After they just almost pulled it off, yes, they got – it was a push-off and offensive pass interference, but they completed that ball too, and now – Um, Justin Herbert throws one up and Jordan Poyer goes for the interception.
4: Now, I mean, that's it. I mean, he was not the only one back there too, right? So to me, that's. No, but he
0: was the first one to get it and him going for the interception, kept it up in the air just long enough. And then of course it hits, uh, who, who was the second player in? Was it, um, oh shoot. Um,
4: Teron Johnson.
0: Yeah, Johnson and he bat he's the one who like swung at it and batted it up and it landed. He just trying to get
4: his hands on the ball. I again, mean,
0: it was a free it you can say it's a freak play and I guess you know, it probably too is, but they made it a they made it a freak play by their they could have stopped it right by just handling it differently.
4: Think about it like this, right? And think about like again, football when you get deep into the season as you are right now, it's situational play, right? So it was 4th and 27, Matt. Is that correct? So end of the day, it's 4th and 27. I don't care if it's at the end of the game, beginning of the game. You knock that ball down, you get the ball back on 45 where they were at, right? That's just understanding where you're at, not trying to pass. In the first quarter, you bat it down. No, in
1: any quarter you bat it. Right, day. yeah, ex- exactly. Unless it's such an easy catch that you're like, I can not only intercept this, but I can return it 50 yards because 50 you yard. have to go 25 right. yards just to get back to where the line of scrimmage is.
4: And, and again, you have to think about your team, right? You can't say, you know what, I'm going to pat my stats so I can get into the Pro Bowl, right? At that point, if you're not playing well enough to, for one interception to get you in the Pro Bowl, you don't deserve it. Plus, it's an AP Pro Bowl this year, not going anywhere. You're not eating pineapples anymore you're staying right here right so at the end of the day you pull that ball down to the ground and spike it and you give your team the ball and and real good teams championship teams they do that teams that go into the playoffs and are one and done try to pick the ball off because you're being selfish you don't understand the importance of that play closer game you lose
0: I wanted to ask you about this because you know the player, uh, one of the players so well uh, is uh, Matt Milano, and he's about to come back. AJ Klein, having played uh, as well as he has, and Tremaine Edmonds coming back alive. What do you see uh, the dynamic there at linebacker at, now that Matt Milano is healthy, getting plugged back in there?
4: Now, that, that's going to be how do you take a guy out that, that I know that I said, wasn't gonna win Defensive Player of the Week two weeks, um, two weeks, two weekends ago, right? I thought he won it against uh, Seattle, and then he comes back and wins it this week. It's gonna be tough because he's a better blitzer than than Milano. But Milano is such a, a good athlete that you can put him in space. In a couple of the plays that AJ didn't make on Sunday, like the checkdowns against Eckler when he was in space and missed the tackle. I think Milano gets there faster. So it's really You have two guys that you can now divvy up time with, depending on what you want to do. And you don't truly have to go to sub packages every single time that they go to 11 personnel because Milano can do some of the stuff that um, T. Johnson can do as well. So I I think both of those guys split time. You don't want to put Milano back out there full go, just coming back out for IR so you slowly work them in there. But I know that defense, they want that linebacker opposite from um, Tremaine to be a very good blitzer a la what Thomas Davis and Luke Keekley were to each other um, down in Carolina.
0: So your uh, look ahead to San Francisco, obviously a team that runs the ball uh, pretty well and defensively solid, uh, both against the pass and against the run, of course, and the caveat being when healthy because they've had so many injuries. Uh, but how do you see this game shaping up Monday night? Well, I
4: mean, adverse times, right, for, Can- for, for San Francisco – um, you you want to see how they're going to they're come through. But I'm going to speak on the Buffalo's point of view. You, you're sitting there and you're ready for this this stretch run. And you have – it's Monday night football. You're back on primetime football. You're now trying to show the world that you, are, you have arrived. So you want to go out there and put a stop to that run game. Now, Kyle Shanahan is one of the most creative play callers in terms of running a football and having play action pass off of the, off of the run, so those linebackers, like we said against the Rams, and even defensive backs, there's a couple of times you've seen cerdavius putting his eyes in the backfield. You got to have very good eye of discipline this week, because not only can you give up 150 or 200 yards against San Francisco, you can also give up 350 yards in the pass game. So discipline and the guys up front setting the tone and. Getting a new line of scrimmage. You saw uh, the young boy, 91, at Oliver. He made a couple of plays in there. He's been hit or miss. Last week he hit a little bit more than he missed. I think he's finding his, his way. I think he's somewhat now a little bit more healthy, healthier than he was earlier on in the season because I haven't seen him on many of the injury reports. So you can see his game and you can see the juice and the explosiveness that you saw in college coming to the NFL game now because what do you have, one and a half sack or a, uh, one sack last week and a couple of QB hits. A couple, couple of dumb bad penalties, penalties
1: too, to balance him out.
4: <laughs> I mean, when, when, when you play like that and you're little guy, sometimes you, you're going to get those. And if you can get a penalty there but two and a half, or one and a half sacks, I, that kind of washes it out. But at least he's playing aggressive and you're seeing him show up now in the stat sheet, usually before you have to ask yourself, was Ed even? Was he inactive? Because he just disappeared. So at least he's playing well. And you see the linebackers now coming downhill and making plays. So that defense is coming together a little bit better. Now going against San Francisco, you'll see if they are really good against the run as numbers are saying in the last couple of weeks, training in the right direction.
0: Hey, Gerald, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you was whether or not you knew that um, Shampo, Travis, and Kirshner – um, is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with Roots and Amherst. Did you know that?
4: Absolutely not, did but you, I love it though. What a great plug.
0: Did you know that CTBK pairs every project with a focus on human connection between its team and the client? No. And that but for I, assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions, you should call CTBK because they're available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. So Gerald, <laughs> for a consultation or to request a quote, Call 716-630-2400. Again, that's that it's 716-630-2400. And again, that's Shampoo Travis Bisson, Kirshner. Over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond, even for Jamaicans.
4: Now the numbers start going up. As soon as you said Jamaican, my eyes perked up. I like that.
0: Yep. International. Western New York and beyond. Love it. Um, I wanted to make sure I wedged in an extra plug for CTBK. They've been so good to us. Uh, all right, back to football. Gotcha. Um, what else do we want to talk about?
4: You know, what, I think I, Monday night football is good for everybody, man. This this is where the first stars show up. Double header and a Tuesday
0: game. This is like a, like we're watching baseball or, or the Stanley Cup playoffs. There's a game every night.
1: Yeah, who got pushed to of- Tuesday? Baltimore? Yes. Yeah. What a mess. Hey, man. Do you think
0: we're, Do you think uh, every team's going to play 16 games, Gerald? No. Numbers are they're, safe. It's I mean, almost I mean, like they're hanging on by a thread here, but they're just barely keeping it together, this and schedule.
4: Here's, and here's the reason why I say no, right? All right. The NFL is the last league to play, right? Because you had Major League, and you had, you had Major League Baseball, and you had N- NBA, right? Both of those leagues made it because they were in a, a bubble. If you don't want to go in a bubble, you're gonna, you're gonna, this is what you're going to have to face week in and week out. So fight it all you want, but numbers tell you that get in the bubble, especially in the playoffs, and you have a shot. When you get in the playoffs and this happens, what's next? Does the team have to forfeit? It would be embarrassing. Like What happened to Denver the other day, the triple option team? Rolling that out?
0: Come on. One pass the entire game. Or, no, not, I'm sorry, one completion the entire game.
4: It's bad football.
1: Yeah. What happens if what happens to Baltimore happens in the wild card round?
4: It's bad football.
1: They're kicking that game down the road and trying to readjust the following week's schedule. I I think they're going to get 16 in because I just think they don't care. I just think they are, they're, ramrodding their way through it. And they just, that's what this weekend taught me is they do not care. Like they will make a team play with a practice squad, wide receiver at quarterback, because that's how little they care. They'll play a game on a freaking Wednesday afternoon because they just don't care. Like, so I don't know if this is a question I would love to hear answered by the league. If not those two situations, what is the cutoff to cancel a game? What is it? Because if it's not the Ravens, I don't know what it is. It They had, like, what, almost 20 guys on the COVID list. Right. So if they're not going to cancel it for that, if they're going to make a team play, they're not even going to postpone the game. They're going to make a team play with their practice squad wide receiver and treat it as a feel-good story. <laughs> Look at this guy.
4: Yeah. Give him having, high a,
1: high. having a go. like. I don't know. If they're not going to do it, then they're just not going to do it. I don't know. They're just going to play. And yeah, maybe we'll get to the playoffs and something stupid will happen like um, what happens know. if you
4: get to the playoffs and it's Kansas City versus well, this the let's say the Bills versus Kansas City, right? And half three quarters of the Kansas City um team's not there. And they roll out Sammy Watkins a quarterback. <laughs> right? With Chris Jones at tight end, right? I mean, are, are you he gonna has, watch the game? And who's on? Somebody take, will. It, it, yeah. Are you gonna take that Super Bowl seriously? Priest gonna, Holmes at running back.
1: Jake Kumura yeah, will be playing quarterback for the Bills against Sammy Watkins.
0: Right. <laughs> Joe Licata. Maybe yeah. Joe
4: Licata will be out there.
1: He better get loose. Oh, no, you
4: can't be on the team. You can't pass the COVID uh, test. That's
1: right. Yeah, he's no, got to be on the team. Well,
4: they got to get him now. Well, they yeah. have to. Yeah. Nah, they, no, they, they'll
1: have Jake They're from. They're good.
4: They, they, they got Houston County's fine. Is they, Jake's the guy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they got Jake Fromm just uh, chilling at the Marriott downtown or something to make Here's sure Here's a possibility. I wonder
0: if they get to week 16 and get through week 16 – or 15, I should say. And then they say, all right, we're taking the next two weeks off. We're gonna, just going to cancel the last two weeks of the season. They enact that playoff formula that they came up with a couple of months back where we just add a couple extra teams – Everybody goes into lockdown, but we got—we finally, at least, got to a. Yeah, what you got?
4: I, I'm Patrick Mahomes. I, I just signed my 500 million dollar contract. I don't get paid, so no.
0: Because you didn't play those two games.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah of there's, the there's that. There's <laughs> that. I just signed my contract this year, and I need my money.
1: Yeah, all of a sudden, those game checks got a little bigger. <laughs> yeah. Yep, a little bigger for Patrick Mahomes than they are for Jay Kumaru.
4: Exactly. Saying that we're not going to play this game, like you don't play, no one gets paid. Like, no, I'm putting my hand up. Uh-uh. Well, the
1: NFL couldn't. Could isn't say, oh, that kind uh, of ridiculous to begin with? Or isn't it kind of ridiculous to begin with that a game gets canceled and you're just not going to pay these guys? They're playing in a pandemic. They're doing everything. Like the Steelers would have forfeited a game check for. And really, the rate you know, everybody's like, I, I what I do, really annoys me about this whole thing is how a team gets it and they're like the bad guys. Like, oh, oh they the screwed strength. up. Curve. They screwed up. Like, the strength coach apparently, you know, was the start of the spread in Baltimore. So Lamar Jackson's going to lose his game check because of the strength coach. That's just as unfair as Big Ben losing his game check because of the Ravens' strength coach. And the the villainizing of the people who get it and right. these this holier-than-now of those who don't, Right. They're like, well, we're doing everything right, man. It's going to get you too. like, that's how this thing works. It's not looking at it saying, man, this bill's team's real disciplined. I'm not going in that building. Like, Except for it's the a tight virus. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's been the bills have, are, I don't know, in the top half of the league in terms of guys that have landed on that list. Um, but just in general, like if it hasn't gotten into your building, you're probably just as it's just as much luck as anything else. And the fact that they're going to, they would not pay guys. Despite going into this season, knowing this was a possibility, I think is asinine, considering all the risk these guys are taking.
0: And that they, And the
1: work that they put
0: in, really I, I, a that's whole what weeks of work I've always thought was kind of backwards about getting paid for playing the game, is um, the idea that you're not getting paid to work. the work is done Monday through, through Saturday, or whatever.
4: Dana, Monday that's why guys Monday don't like Friday. Friends. That's why guys don't like practicing. Right, you practice.
0: Maybe they got to change it to you got to be on the on the roster or whatever for, you know, 4 days out of the 7 to right. get your, to get paid. Uh, as opposed to you play the game then you get paid because these guys are practicing the Steelers and they had the one game earlier where they practiced whatever it was while they were waiting on what team was it? Tennessee? Yeah, Tennessee, that's right. And they're practicing, and they're and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, by the way, this is your bye week. <laughs> it's like, well, sh- shit, yeah. <laughs> I, I just spent my bye week practicing. <laughs> I don't get to go home and be with my family. I just like
1: I you right. That'd be like tell me the, after
0: the fact that I was on my bye week.
1: That'd be at the end of a week. They'd be right. at the end of a work week. Tim, we file all these stories and do all this work, and somebody's like, by the way, that was your PTO. That was your
0: PTO. Yeah, that's right. You're on vacation this week.
4: It's like my man Bubba Chuck said. I, I, yeah, I hey. Practice. We're talking about practice, man.
0: <laughs> uh, all right, Gerald, I'm going to let you go. I appreciate you joining us on your son's birthday. Hope, is he tucked in bed or is he? No, we got
4: go to go see him? the minions down the street. Pastor's waiting on me.
0: Okay, get going, man. Get I going. I didn't know we were dragging this out for you. Sorry Girl, about
4: that. And then, and then the girls' birthday is coming up with girls', girl's birthday are coming up on the 7th. So, All There's right.
0: A, well, enjoy, well, enjoy the minions. Right. And. Uh, we are Gerald Dixon minions.
4: No. Matt
0: Fairburn and I.
4: No. Not Jonah, though. He doesn't like you. Uh, but he,
0: but Matt I I beat Arden
4: his UB guys, guys up too much, man. But he doesn't understand that his UB guys are my Maryland guys. Those are two Maryland guys.
0: Jonah's right now. The reason he couldn't be on the show uh, is he's still counting up uh, Jarrett Patterson's yardage. He's still tallying it up. It's, look, it's like a pinball machine. It's still spinning. The, the reels are still spinning.
1: It's like the votes when you get that many of them they take, oh, they take yeah they're like account.
0: biden's votes they just keep piling in there was a spike <laughs> over there was a big dump there hey was a big dump overnight
4: the numbers are real the votes were real so we gotta count them yeah. so, so we're the there guys. we gotta count them
0: gerald dixon oh, thanks so much man we'll catch you next week
4: I' am good